everyone, and welcome to the 27th episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platy M3. And this is Yangus the Legendary Bandit. Tonight on SideQuest, we're uh, going to round out our best of 2021 by hearing from our longtime contributors, Evan, Pendy, and Aust. Oh, hold up, hold up, hold up, Yangus. Dude, we didn't even do our intro yet, and you're already introducing the guests. Listen, I know I went last time a couple weeks ago with my top three slash four games, but I do have a couple other things to mention. So instead of just like jumping in to the show, can I have a quick minute? <coughs> 20 minutes. <clears throat> you feeling OK, Yangus? Well, I was. Yeah. Oh, well, you'll be fine. OK, so listen, I want to tell everyone how I got the Omicron conspiracy last week. I got into this big time. Wait a minute. What the heck? What internet rabbit hole did you go down? Oh, well, I'll just throw the link in the show notes. Uh, it's kind of a long one. But I mean, I beat one Omnicron once a few months back, and I even beat one last year. But this conspiracy thing was completely different. I mean, I don't think it's for everyone as it stretches back to the 80s, but. The, the 80s? And what the heck did you say about beating Omicron months ago and last year? What? Yeah, honestly, it wasn't really all that bad. You know, put the kids to bed a couple late nights, do 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 do, grinding in bed, and I, I was good both times. Late nights of grinding in bed, conspiracy theories online. What the hell is going on with you, Planty? I think we've done a great job the uh, the past couple years keeping everyone's sex lives and political opinions out of this show. What the heck do you think you're doing springing this all on us in what's supposed to be a fun celebration of fun games we've played? Whoa, 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 Yangus, dude, relax, relax. I mean, I, I know you're not on all about the indie monster collecting or the old computer game scene, but sex lives and politics? Where the hell did that come from? You're the one talking about grinding in bed to beat COVID variants a year before they mutated, and then apparently you're knee-deep in conspiracy theories about it. COVID? How the heck did you pull COVID into this intro? Well, you're the one going on and on about the Omicron variant. Omicron? Who said anything about Omicron? You did! Oh, oh, oh damn. No, no, I didn't. I said Omicron. Um, Nikron. See, there's an N there after the M, like the final boss in the Nexomon games and the 1989 computer game. Uh, Omnicron Conspiracy. It, it's an old DOS title. <sighs> Damn it, Platty. <sighs> you got me again. Why do I have a feeling you have nothing more to say about these jokes, about the, uh, these jokes, about these games, other than to make the joke? Oh, you know me. I'm always joking. What, what do we say in Discord? You know, if we're typing, we're joking. But uh, no, no, no. Nexomon's good. And Evolution, that's even better. You, everybody should go out and play those. But as for the Omnicron conspiracy, yeah, there is a good reason it's on an abandoned wear site. But hey, I, I will drop that link in the show notes for everyone to check out. Um, OK, guys, I, I sorry about all that. I think I've derailed this episode enough. I mean, I got my time last time. This is all about Yangus and the rest of you. I'll just make little rude comments the whole time. Um, <laughs> Yangus. <laughs> Thanks, Play. Glad to know you're here for us. I, I was going to say, the rest of the title just pretty much consi consists of me telling you to shut up. But right now, back to your intro. So basically, Platy in the, tonight's episode is going to be the Statler and Waldorf of our episode. He's going to be up in the balcony. He's going to be yelling at us. <laughs> okay, well, um, uh, as I was saying before, uh, this episode, we're going to round out our best of 2021 uh, by hearing from some of our longtime contributors. Uh, tonight, we have Eel, a.k.a. Evan. Hey, guys. We have Mr. Pendy. Hello. And we have Austin Erfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfurfur
<laughs> Welcome That's on. I've been pronouncing it. I was wondering if Ross was going to even say anything when I did that or not. <laughs> no, everybody mispronounces it. So okay. Well, well good, good job, Yangus. You're keeping with the Muppet theme here. You sound like one. I, I have to keep the traditions going. You know, there was another tradition <laughs> I'm keeping. You know, it's, it's okay, chaos. I feel your pain. Yeah. <laughs> it, we're getting close boy. to Christmas. There's traditions we can't let die. <laughs> We're two days away as of this recording right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, welcome on uh, tonight, guys. And uh, just to give a quick recap to our uh, audience, um, this is a part two episode of our favorite games of 2021. So if you would like to hear uh, part one before listening to part two, uh, just go back to episode 26 and you can hear from some of our previous guests we had, which were uh, Matt Craft. We had uh, Blue Star on. We had Platy talking about his games that night. And we had Barurian. That, was that everybody we had talk on that one? And Blue Star's amazing laugh. Yes, we have Blue Star's Amazing Laugh as a special guest. Did we have one more person? I feel like I've already, we've already forgotten something. I think we did. I can't remember. We're probably going to hear about it if we did. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't remember who it was. Did you say, did you say Jay? Because Jay was on the episode, right? Oh, oh yes. yes. Thank you. Yes, Jay, the Hawkheart Ace, who's no longer the Hawkheart Ace, but he will always be the Hawkheart Ace in our hearts. Jay of <laughs> yeah. uh, Big Shark Gaming. Free plug there. Big Shark Gaming, yeah. Yes. Yes. And you'll hear more from Big Shark Gaming when I get around to editing the uh, Slime Time Prime episode coming up soon. Hey, there we go. <laughs> All right. Well, we better get this uh, show on the road. So I think we should go ahead and call on you, us. Why don't you tell us about your uh, game number three? Game number three? We're starting with game number three? Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you brought it up, so yeah. we're going to let you go first, my good man. All so right. Please, you have the floor. So this uh, this summer, I went on a uh, binge of Sierra Adventure Games, and I intended to play uh, a, a wider diver- uh, diversity of titles than I did. But, uh, I started with the Leisure Suit Larry series and played all six of those back to back. Damn! Yeah. So much wow. keeping people's sex lives out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, everything! <laughs> Set you up for that one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if you if you don't know, uh, Leisure Suit Larry was a uh, series of a series of adventure games developed in the late '80s on into the uh, mid '90s that uh, were very adult themed. Um, they it, it, even in like in the sixth one or. It's actually number seven. They skipped Larry Leisure Suit Larry four. So it's number six or number seven is actually number six. Uh, but yeah, in, in the seventh one, there are some a lot more a lot more explicit objects and scenes than in the previous games. Um, but uh, yeah, they're all they're all pretty raunchy to use a, probably a term from that era. Um, but uh, what what sort of took me a little bit by surprise is just how um, I guess charming they were. Like in in their and I mean it's a, it's a Sierra adventure game. It's if you like King's Quest or Space Quest or or any of those types of games, uh, you're going to enjoy the gameplay of of this, even if you don't necessarily uh, <laughs> gel with the subject matter. Um, and I, yeah, I would say that some of them haven't aged super well. There are obviously plenty of sex jokes and a few mm, 
sketchy areas, uh, maybe maybe even like some mildly racist things you would themes you would find in the game, the older games. Um, but it was nothing too explicitly offensive, I believe. It, it was more of just a what you would find from the time. Uh, I don't think they ever set out to offend uh, any any group or anybody. Um, and most of the women in the game are not portrayed as helpless. Um, I mean, obviously there there is some there is a, a great deal of objectification going on here, but they're not. I guess what you would term a traditional sex, a helpless sex object in the game. Uh, most of them are independent with a, their own agency, and most of the humor comes from the protagonist, Larry, comes from his ineptitude and and uh, his inability to, or his lack of success with the opposite sex. I guess is how I would put it. That's um, a good way to put it. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good little rhyme for it too. <laughs> I find them so very relatable. Like <laughs> oh, wait, wait so, what do you say? What'd you say? I missed that. <laughs> I just sounds like he sounds very relatable oh. to the audience, not to me. Yeah. Wow. That, <laughs> what are you saying about our audience? <laughs> to the audience. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know, Evan. You play a lot of visual novel games, and a lot of those involve <laughs> dating. So I don't the know. royal we, <laughs> the royal we, <laughs> we the people. It, it you know. Spoken. It's funny you say that. Uh, I would say this is a pro- a prototype or a proto uh, dating sim from the era um, with uh, the with its own brutal adventure puzzle moon logicness going on alongside of it. You're you're very often trying to juggle a few different uh, women, um, trying to uh, trying to enamor them as best as you can uh, mm-hmm. to varying degrees of success. But yeah, uh, that's I mean, that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, The games were really popular, uh, probably uh, in the U.S. I think King's Quest was the most popular Sierra adventure game. But globally, it was Leisure Suit Larry, uh, just from some of the stuff I read this summer about it. And I I can sort of see why Um, it felt like a an adult version of Monkey Island. Uh, It's just they had the jokes were not bad in fact in a few of them there were a couple of jokes that made me laugh out loud uh, if you like adventure games like i said this is the just as good as any of the others um but yeah that's i i enjoyed my time with them and afterwards i started playing space quest and some of the older some of the other adventure sierra games but i was I, I just played six of these games back to back so i sort of burnt out so did you use a guide uh, yeah, there were a few times where I had to use a guide, um, especially in Leisure Suit Larry Two. That that game nearly broke me. Um, it, it was it's it's so brutal. Like it's like it, you, it's all trial and error on what doesn't kill you. But <laughs> really, the the shining the shining star of this series, I think, is probably Leisure Suit Larry Six or Seven. Those those both are. You can skip all the others and play six or seven and be good. Get the idea. So were these like point and click adventures? Is- yeah, uh, except for the first three, which included typing. You know, you had a text parser mm-hmm. back in those days, where if you you looked at the screen, if you saw an object you thought you could interact with, you literally typed like open door. Oh, it was one of the old ones then. Huh? Yeah, yeah, oh, pick wow. up branch. And that at first that took a lot of getting used to. Um, uh, and it turns a lot of people off. I know who go back to these old games, but 
honestly, I got used to it pretty quickly. And after that, I didn't really have that much of a problem. The biggest annoyance is finding out exactly what the parser wants you to top in, whether it's like pick up branch or use branch or look at branch, you know, things like that. And and there were definitely times where like I interacted with an object. It didn't give me the result I wanted. So I moved on and went somewhere else and got stuck and had to look it up and realize that I, I, I was right about the object I needed to use. I just didn't interact with it in the right way. And so that sort of thing does not happen with the more modern point and click stuff where if you click on it, whatever you're supposed to do with it is going to just happen naturally. It's not left up to, you know, some vagueness in the text parser. But at the same time, the text stuff is kind of charming within its own right. And it's like a cool little throwback to the old days. And it's just, you have to, you have to approach it with the right mindset, I guess. Yeah. There are some, um, like when they've done like the modern renditions of these point and click games, because um, you talking about how like nowadays you can just click and it'll automatically do the thing for you. When mm-hmm. I played the remaster of Day of the Tentacle a few years ago on my PS4, they actually had the option to play it with like a newer style of control where if you just clicked on the object, it would kind of automatically do what it would need to in order to progress. Or you could play it with like a the old school style of gameplay where you had your options you could click on and you could then. Um, you know, choose to like talk to or or pick up or you know pull you know stuff like that. You know your basic command sort of things. Yeah. So is that pretty much what they did then? Is that they just mo- kind of modernized it a little bit, or just depending on what version you were playing, I guess. Oh no, none of these have been remade. So. Um, oh, you're not playing the. Well, I know that a few of them have come to modern consoles recently. Yeah, they play- they they rebooted the series um, a couple of years ago, and they've made two of those. Oh, I thought those were. Uh, sorry, I thought those were remakes of older games. I thought you were playing those as well as the older ones. Okay. No, and I should have been more clear starting out on. No, uh, no, you're fine. I that uh, was just my bad. I figured that those games were uh, yeah. just remakes. That's what I, I figured. I, yeah, they. I mean, they rebooted the series. The, uh, they're not straight remakes. They did reboot, and I, I played both of them after finishing the old ones. And um, they they're not. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't recommend them. They're not bad. They're just mediocre. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one was better than the first one, but yeah, I mean, they they just. Um, they were pretty easy. Uh, a lot of going back to the same areas, though, so things got pretty bland. Um, mm. the, the the best thing about those the new ones is the controller support. Like playing them on Switch is very very fluid. It's just it, it works really well. The control scheme works really well. Okay. Yeah, I think I yeah that was my bad. So no, you were you're fine. You were fine on that. Os. I just misunderstood. I figured no. those games were remakes, so that was my bad. No, that's so good. Are these on GOG or something? Yeah, that's where I played played them. Uh, I, I don't know if they're on Steam. For certain, they're all all of the old ones are on GOG. Well, they could be on Everybody Steam. I know. Buy something on GOG, they're losing a ton of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is what is GOG? There you go. Uh, GOG is a it's it's a a digital platform, sort of like Steam, but all oh. of their all of their games are completely DRM free. So if you download it, you can just get the executable and install it on any as many computers as you want. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a it's a really good store. So uh, the owners of it also developed Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. So no. that's why they're losing money. <laughs> they run GOG at a loss. Like yeah. it's it, it's part of their company, but it, it's pretty much run at a loss. And I mean, they've got. I mean, just like Steam or anybody else, they get great sales all the time. But I mean, you can pick up Leisure Suit Larry and stuff like this. You can pick up games from the 80s and 90s for like two bucks, five bucks. And yeah, like Oz said, they don't have any um, 
digital copyright or anything. You you buy it and you got it. Oh, is it so? Is it like a one of the major parts of it is that you can uh, find a lot of classic older yes. PC games and pick those up? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they optimize it. They'll have the um, art books. They'll have the original nice. directions. You know, right. you'll get that PDF that's like 200 pages that has the entire story from a 1982 <laughs> game because, you know, they couldn't yeah. put anything in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their name used to be Good Old Games, uh, and they focused uh-huh. on, like, uh, bringing up older games to where you could play them on modern hardware. Like he said, they have a ton of, of extras that, like stuff like Steam doesn't offer, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. I'll, have to, I'll have to see if they have uh, games like Joe Montana Football or Silent Service 2 that I played as a kid. <laughs> That'd be what about fun. Lee Carvalho's Putting Challenge? <laughs> or Pete Rose's Power stuff. Drive. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's all I've got to say about Larry. All righty, Angus, where do we want to go next? Well... We should, why don't we just go in alphabetical order and go to Mr. Evan? All right. So I actually have a theme for all of my games. They are all love letters of some kinds. And this so is my, where I say goodnight, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> my first game. This is, is my hate be, letter to y'all. <laughs> my new game, my first game is going to be uh, New Pokemon Snap, which is a love letter to photography games and Pokemon. <laughs> So if anyone remembers the old N64 game, you know, you play as Todd Snap, you go around, you take pictures of Pokemon in the environment, you know, then Professor Oak grades them, tells you how good they are, uh, but really all matters how close you were to the Pokemon or how centered the picture is. Doesn't matter how nice the picture looks. Um, a lot of people have been really looking forward to a new Pokemon Snap game, and they literally got what they wanted with new Pokemon Snap. Um, so what this game is, is kind of like it took the the base game, like the gameplay, and it kind of expands on certain elements that were already there. Uh, they added new content, new things you can do. Um, obviously, they more than doubled the number of Pokemon you can see. I believe in the last game there were 60 or so Pokemon. In this one, there's over 200. You can encounter, I think, 210 specifically. Oh, Oh, yeah, there's a lot. And uh, in fact, actually, they added in uh, some free DLC, two new areas, which added in even more Pokemon from that. So um, in this game, you don't play as Todd Snap, though he is a character. Uh, It actually has a bit of a story mode. Uh, It's kind of bare bones, but it's there. And what you do is you go through each biome you know like here's a desert here's uh the ocean here is a jungle uh at one point you can go underwater and take pictures of like reefs and stuff like that um but instead of focusing so much on score it focuses more on uh playing through these areas multiple times and uh leveling up there's a level up system and every time you level up, I believe most of them are two to three levels, um, something changes about that area. Sometimes Pokemon will get closer to you, they'll react differently, sometimes there'll be entirely new Pokemon that appear. Oftentimes there's new routes you can take that gives you a different angle to that area where there's, again, new Pokemon, or better angles for Pokemon you couldn't see somewhere else. Um, they even added a couple boss levels. So, like, the first one is a meganium and then later on you'll see like there's like a there's like a final boss even in a way and 
uh, it's kind of similar in gameplay in, you know, you have a, instead of an apple, they have a fluff fruit, which they go out of the way, out of their way to tell you it's very soft, so don't be afraid to hit them, and it tastes good, so they're actually happy when you do it. Uh, there's a scanner that will sometimes uh, show you things that you can't necessarily see with your naked eye or you might not be seeing uh, just playing through the game. Uh, sometimes Pokemon will react differently when you scanned them. Uh, then there's a new item, which is kind of like the key feature of the game, which is the Illumina Orb, which is like an item you'll throw at a Pokemon and they'll glow. And sometimes they'll act different or react differently. And across all of these biomes, there are uh, crystal blooms. And if you throw a uh, Illumina Orb at the Crystal Bloom, sometimes it'll attract Pokemon, um, an area will react a certain way. Uh, occasionally, I think, a new areas open up for you if you activate them. Uh, there's like a lot of... Uh, a lot, lot you can do with your environment. You can speed up, slow down, uh, you can play music. If you've watched the trailer, the big thing they had in one trailer was there's an area where if you play music, Blossom will come out and they'll start dancing. And there's a lot of similar stuff where if you play music, Pokemon will react a certain way. And the game really wants you to take multiple pictures of Pokemon doing different things. It's not just you took a picture of Charmander. This is the Charmander picture. There, every Pokemon has uh, four variations, like some sort of new behavior they're exhibiting. And you want to take a picture of them in the middle of doing that, the best possible picture at the best possible time of them doing something. And it'll save to your gallery. You, have, you need to have uh, four, there's four to a page, one for each Pokemon. Sometimes it'll just be a picture of them stationary. Other times it might be them uh, jumping up and down dancing, they'll do some crazy things, like I know you can uh, get some Pokemon flying all over the place, or you can knock Pokemon into something and they'll react a certain way, uh, you know, even just throwing a fluff fruit at them, they'll eat it, that's a, that's a different picture you can take. And so there's like a lot of replayability, you go through every area a million times, uh, sometimes, I think the big criticism, criticism I would have is sometimes it can get very boring and grindy towards the end portion of the game where you're getting maybe one or two good pictures every trip and that's it. Sometimes you're trying to get a certain picture and you won't. And you won't get any pictures. Um, it's a good game to play uh, when you're like doing something like you're listening to a podcast, watching videos, kind of passively watching TV. In the background, you don't need to have sound on. Um, in some cases you do. There's somewhere like you can hear a Pokemon in the background, and it's good because it'll go, oh, there's a Arcanine around here or something. I know there's only certain Pokemon that you'll be aware of if you have sound on, um, but for the most part, you can kind of just play the game completely without sound, and uh, I, I just think it was a very good game. It was definitely like they took the framework of the original expanded on it in basically every way. Uh, they made it as a very nice, casual game. You can play for about 20 to 30 hours without getting bored on a nice Sunday afternoon uh, while you're sipping hot cocoa or something like that. It's a very chill experience. There's not a lot of headaches. Yeah, I find it funny that a couple of the games that we have on here tonight are ones that I haven't played a minute of, but <laughs> probably show up as like my most played games on the Switch. Uh, because... <laughs> My family, my son and my wife played uh, this one to death this year, and I'm 99% sure it's under my profile because I was the only one with the uh, the online earlier this year before I bought the family plan. So 
One last thing I would like to mention was uh, there's a unique feature to this game where you can, when you take a picture, um, you can, you know, you have to choose which pictures to submit to uh, the professor in this game. It's not Professor Oak, there's a new guy. I don't remember what his name is. Um, but after that, you then can select all of your pictures that you took and save them to a photo album. And as many pictures as you want, how, however much can fit in your Switch, basically. And mm -hmm. uh, the big thing about this is that uh, they released an um, app or something that connects to the Switch in your phone uh, for the Instax Instant Printer. It's like a little printer, costs about 100 bucks. Yes, I have it. And oh. what it does <laughs> is you sync the photos with your phone and then sync your phone with the printer and you can print out the pictures you took in Pokemon Snap. Hmm. So you can have like, a physical version of that picture. This is one that I've definitely had my eye on. I just have never gone to pick it up yet. But, you know, growing up, um, you know, Pokemon was a big one, like especially with Evans and my uh, age group. You know, it was, that was like the big thing. And I remember I got this game, I think it was for my birthday one year, if I remember right. And even though I wasn't really super big into Pokemon as a kid, this is one that I really did enjoy uh, playing through it and playing through the level. So uh, with this new version of or uh, this new Pokemon Snap game that came out, was it wasn't it spring of this year that it came out? Yes, like April, okay. I think, this year. Yeah. When that one was announced and was uh, we saw more and more, but it's like, oh, that's really cool. You know, it looks like they really, you know, expanded on, you know, what made the original something that would, uh, you know, be really captivating for people. Uh, pun somewhat intended with the camera thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is one that I would definitely like to check out in the future. And, uh, you know, hearing you talk about it tonight, Evan, it sounds like they've really... You know, kind of gone above and beyond to like really, you know, make a uh, big uh, cast of Pokemon to see, you know, big areas you can go check out. And, uh, you know, the free DLC they added in too. that. That was pretty nice. I didn't know actually that was free DLC. I thought that was like paid DLC or something. Well, but, so there's a bit of a conspiracy theory going around that that DLC might have been originally intended for the base game that they didn't have time to finish before the launch because mm -hmm. it's only it's only two areas and there aren't a lot of new pokemon added in like i think the only big whoa i can't believe this wasn't in the base game this is what makes me really think that it was um added in later because uh, they hadn't finished with it was garrett uh gyarados mm -hmm. i played the whole game waiting to find a gyarados there's magikarp all over the place but no Gyarados. But Gyarados is in one of the DLC areas. And yeah, there's like, I'm looking at the uh, map right now. There's like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There's like 13 or so unique areas. And they all have at least one or two levels, like a night stage to it. There's some of night versions where newer unique Pokemon appear, where they, or some Pokemon from other, from the, the morning version. But they have like unique uh, behaviors that you can take mm -hmm. pictures of, and then yeah. like I said, there's there's levels like I think up to level three in most places. <laughs> so it's like there's like a lot you can do, and I, I think I was able to play at least twenty twenty five hours before I stopped running out of new stuff to do. Nice. This feels like something I'm gonna eventually play. Like we have yeah, it, too. so at some point I'll plop it in my Switch light, and you know, be between serious games or something like that just be like okay i need a chill experience for a while i'm plowing through the cold steel games right now and i can't see myself doing two three and four back to back but uh, i could see this being a you know maybe put in 10 or 15 hours between the game and come back to it again later mm -hmm. yeah you think they're going to eventually have dlc that opens up some more areas some more pokemon i think it's kind of late i think by now we would have heard about new dlc mm. i feel like 
it's actually a pretty good game ripe for DLC. Like, I'm kind of surprised they haven't announced some sort of DLC because there are a lot of Pokemon they're kind of surprised aren't in there. I don't think Charizard's in there, oh which is kind of surprising. I think literally just Charmander was in there. I might be wrong, but I, I don't think I've encountered a Charizard yet. I've def- Oh, no, wait, I have. I have seen a Charizard. Okay, I was a little nervous. There. You gotta have all the Gen 1 stuff in there. Well, well, because I remember yeah. <laughs> Blastoise and Venusaur. So I was like, wait, why wouldn't they have Charizard? I was really confused for a second. But yeah, I think yeah. Charizard's... That's Game Freak's favorite. I was about yeah. to riot. No Charizard. <laughs> My kids got an advent... We got a Pokemon advent calendar. It costs like an arm and a leg this year. But it has like little two-inch Pokemon figures, really nice ones, for 25 days. And I swear, everyone's Gen 1. And... <laughs> You have like Eevee, you have mad looking Eevee, you have shiny Eevee. It's like, are you kidding me? 1,000 Pokemon? They've been trying to pimp Eevee as like the second mascot for a couple years. Like, I think this was the first year that Eevee was included in the Macy's balloon with Pikachu. Oh, yeah. Saw that one. Yeah, it seems like its popularity and like them pushing that has really gone up. I've noticed that too. I'm kind of surprised Eevee isn't like just the mascot in general because it kind Eevee kind of exemplifies the idea of evolution, which was kind of mm-hmm. the gimmick of the game. And it's just a normal type Pokemon in general. And it's kind of a very basic looking Pokemon, but it's still cute. So I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't the mascot to begin with. Mm-hmm. They're working on it. They're working on it. Yeah, it was supposed to be the mascot originally, right? Yeah, which is even yeah, more fairy. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we got this game. Uh, I just haven't played it yet. <laughs> well, I think on that note, we should go ahead and move on to Mr. Pendy for his uh, number three slash first game he wants to talk about. So, Pendy, you have the floor. Thank you. So, my first game is going to be the Pixel Remaster of Final Fantasy One. So, this was released uh, around 28 July 2021 along with the number two and number three, and is now available for Steam and mobile devices. Uh, Since then, four and five have also been released, and six, uh, they've just announced, will be released in February of 2022. Um, I played the NES version of Final Fantasy I way back in the early 90s, and I really love what they did with the remastered pixel graphics and the music for this game. It's it's fantastic. Uh, The rearranged scores alone, I, I would say, are worth the price of admission as well. Uh, Nobuo, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna murder this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. Nobuo Uematsu is probably my second favorite composer after Koichi Sugiyama, and his music really shines here. Uh, in the game, you play as four warriors of light who are tasked with taking their four elemental crystals and defeating the, you guessed it, four elemental fiends who have darkened them. Uh, eventually, you find out. <laughs> what? I, I know, right? Four, four, four. Eventually, four, find out, eventually, find out about a nasty time loop that threatens the world, and chaos ensues. Literally, uh, in the beginning of the game, you get to pick from different job classes that you'll have the rest of the game. Though you do get a major job upgrade in the middle of the game. Uh, for this game, uh, I decided uh, this time around I wanted to be a red mage, a thief, white mage, uh, and a black mage. Uh, eventually, they will get upgraded to a red wizard, white wizard, black wizard, and master thief. No, no, a ninja, a ninja, of course. Uh, it's a, it's classic turn-based gameplay, and unlike other RPGs like uh, Dragon Quest, you actually get to see your party duke it out on the screen with the monsters that you fight. It's a lot of fun. In this version, there's even uh, trophy-like achievements that you can do. 
uh, like defeating so many monsters, completing the bestiary, or getting 100% of all the treasure chests. <laughs> and, <coughs> excuse me, and you know what I learned today? I learned today that I've mis been mispronouncing uh, for who knows how many years uh, bestiary, because you're supposed to uh, name it... Uh, I mean, I used to call it bestiary. Same. <laughs> yeah, I always. I was going to ask you that. actually when you said bestiary. Yeah. I was going to ask you, hey, does everyone else say bestiary? Because I've been saying bestiary for like yeah. seventy years. I know. Yeah, I, I, I looked too. it up. I, I looked it up because I was like, you know what? The way this is spelled, I'm ge I'm guessing I'm probably saying it wrong. So I looked it up, and no, it's bestiary. And I but I've been saying bestiary uh, this whole time because I associated it with monsters and beasts. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I still, I'm still going to call it a beast here. I don't care. <laughs> I will be wrong. It's all care. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. You know, I've talked about this before, but it's funny how with like old RPGs, there's all these different terms that I used to say a certain way, but, and I didn't know any better because there was no YouTube. There was no people to talk to that knew how to say it right. So I said things like, you know, herb instead of herb or things like that for years. It's, it was, it's interesting when I run into, run into that. Uh, but if you're looking into uh, old school RPG fun on Steam or on your phone, you can't go wrong with these. Uh, I got this one for mobile, and they definitely did a good job of optimizing it for phone use. It's done in landscape mode, and there are many different function functions that you can do easily with your, with your touch touch screen, whether it's uh, roaming around menus or battles. Uh, the only gripe I had with this game is that the fonts. Uh, is but ugly, but I got over it after a while. And if you get it for Steam, it's easy to patch in a new font. Uh, oh, and before I'm done, related to these games, directly re related to these games, I also uh, picked up the book called Final Fantasy Dot. Uh, I know, Yangus, I was talking with you about this uh, probably a few months ago. Um, it's a pixel art book for the Final Fantasy series. It's great. Uh, it's very good, and it, it also has an interview with uh, pixel artist uh, Kazuko Shibuya, uh, and she did the pixel art for many of the original Final Fantasy games and these new pixel remasters. Uh, she even did some work on other games like the Mana series, and even she did some work on uh, Dragon Quest Monsters, I, I looked up today. Uh, and like you'll know her, especially if you've done Final Fantasy from the beginning, you'll know her from that first big scene in the first Final Fantasy game where you cross the bridge and you get that big splash in that big scene, uh, and they do like the little introduction. She's the one that designed that scene uh, among many other notable parts of a lot of the Final Fantasy games. So it's it's great. It's a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. I didn't know she was behind that. That's pretty nice. Yeah. That's a pretty iconic scene from that game, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's I, I was uh, I had to look it up. I was like, oh, man, I wonder if she actually did like the, the remaster of all these pixel graphics for these games, and she did. So I'm glad they went back and got her uh, to do it for these new remasters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm hoping that they'll eventually bring... Um, and I know Baruian's probably going to shoot me if he hears this. Uh, <laughs> if they bring these games to Switch at some point, only Woo, because <laughs> um, I just think it'd be kind of cool to have them on there. So, you know, there's another audience of people who could, uh, you know, try and play them as well. If they're not, because if you're like me, you don't really like to play games on your phone that much. Not that there's anything wrong with playing on a, a game on a phone, just... You know, you kind of prefer to either just have the controller in your hand or the handheld or, you know, touch screen. I have problems with touch screens just because of my hands. So, yeah, and that, that's, you know my, that's my main reason why I would like to see them on Switch. And it, it maybe maybe they will, because, I mean, they do. There is precedence for it where there's been other Final Fantasy games that's been like mobile only that they eventually brought to uh, to console. So we'll see. We'll see if they do that or not. Yeah. 
sooner or later, <laughs> every game comes to Switch. Yeah, true. <laughs> what are they out for right now? They're out for Steam and mobile. Yep, that's it. Mm, all right. I was just and, wondering who paid who to keep it where. And it, it <laughs> and it replaces, especially for like uh, six and five and some of the others, uh, it replaces those very very ugly. Uh, versions that they did where they redid the sprites and it looks like super smooth and just completely awful so it replaces all of those that they that were out on uh i don't know on steam and mobile for years so i'm glad those are getting the boot for this instead Mm -hmm. yeah i think the only place you can uh, i think the only place you can play uh final fantasy 6 now like modern is on uh the snes mini yeah it's about right yeah because there's not really that many other places uh unless you want to get like a game boy or something or in a very expensive cartridge or emulate (laughs) (laughs) yeah really though the game boy advanced version just to that that is a pretty good version of the game and there actually is a patch out there that does put in the original super nintendo soundtrack if you really want to so that is an option (laughs) square enix is really weird with their like re-releases of old games where there is no definitive edition because they took something out of one version of it or they added something in that nobody wanted or they added a feature that people would have liked to have but they had other crap in it that people don't want so there's like no definitive version of multiple like square enix games yeah like, rpgs yeah like dragon quest 3 had that problem where it was missing a lot of stuff so i'm looking forward to the new the new uh 2d hd remake of that so hopefully they bring a lot of that back like the pachisi tracks and monster animations and stuff like that yeah sure gets everybody buying every copy though right <laughs> there's a reason mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right yangus does this bring us to you I do believe so. Let me grab my notes here. All right. So um, real quick, I'll just mention um, some of my honorable mentions from this year. I've been trying to keep a list, actually, of uh, what all new games that I had played this year. And from what I have, I have one, two, actually quite a few of them this year. I've been trying to keep better track of that so I don't start a whole bunch of things and just never get back to them. Even though that hasn't really stopped that from happening sometimes. I know. (laughs) Same way. But um, uh, I got about, if I had to estimate here, uh, maybe about 20 new things that I started this year. I tried not to get too overboard just so I could, you know, focus on some of the ones I started. Uh, But anyway, uh, just to mention some uh, quick honorable mentions from this year that I did not put on my uh, top three spots. Uh, Really enjoyed games like Yakuza Like a Dragon, uh, Saga Frontier Remastered, Katamari Damacy Reroll, which was my first time playing a Katamari game, and I absolutely loved how ridiculous it was. Um, played Hitman 2 and the Legacy Collect and the Legacy content from the first game. And a game that I actually recently started was Dungeon Encounters uh, from Square Enix uh, from a sale that's going on in the eShop at the moment. Um, all these games are ones that I really enjoyed. They just didn't make the cut because there were just three other games that I enjoyed a, a lot this year. And the first one is actually one that just came out a few weeks ago. Uh, it's Shin Megami Tensei Five. Uh, this was announced on or at the Switch presentation in 2017 of January uh, that year, and it was later confirmed to be SMT Five. Uh, prior to that, it was just a new SMT-related project. We really didn't know a whole lot about it until. Uh, last year in the middle of the summer where they had this big announcement like oh here's nocturne hd and here's your first real look at smt5 and the game finally released on november 12 uh 2021 and it was actually the first time an atlas game had a worldwide simultaneous release so that was pretty cool 
Uh, the game starts off with our protagonist uh, on his way home uh, when he has to take a detour due to a murder in a nearby train station. Uh, said detour leads him into a tunnel that suddenly caves in uh, that uh, leads our protagonist to the netherworld of, uh, called Dot. Where he, uh, there he encounters Algami, the protofiend, and becomes an Ahobino, a creature of knowledge and power. Uh, it's explained in the game that a lot of the demons that roam, roam the netherworld have lost their knowledge, and humans have also lost that, or in some cases they've lost their full power. So basically, bringing the two of them together creates this Nahobino. So with Algami's help, uh, the protagonist sets out to learn why the world has changed into a twisted landscape, and discover what secrets lay behind the scenes of the netherworld and how it relates to the Tokyo the protagonist calls home. Uh, the game has many parallels uh, to past SMT games, but in particular, it actually draws a lot from SMT Nocturne. Uh, the game play, uh, the game focuses more on gameplay exploration and explaining the world uh, through its side quest and NPCs rather than focusing on the main story and the characters that you come across um, mainly the human characters in this case. Uh, much of what you learn about the world uh, comes from helping uh, uh, helping demons and side quests or helping some of the humans that pop up every now and then and talking to the NPCs who give you more of the, this insight on like why there's all of these ancient gods who are now being referred to as demons or why angels have been roaming around and why they are also lumped in with demons as well. Uh, so it's kind of cool to see that they went with this approach for the game and kind of gave you more of a well, I'm going to have to make the comparison because closest thing I can think of. It's more of a Dark Souls kind of vibe where their story is not really center focused, but you can get those details by exploring the world and seeing, you know, taking in the atmosphere and talking to all the NPCs and characters that you come across and completing some of the side quests. So I think that that was a cool idea for the story of how they, you know, kind of handles the telling of it and, you know, setting the mood for the game. Um, I really love the visuals of this game. Like, this is such a great, like, a visual upgrade, you know, for the SMT series. And I've seen a few people mention that there's a few performance issues on Switch. I've never noticed anything that's, like, super drastic. I think the game runs pretty well and looks really great on the system. Uh, Demons especially, you know, they look fantastic in the 3D art style. And um, the team building and negotiation systems have received such nice overhauls. It really makes combat and, you know, building up your party a lot of fun. Not to mention there's all of the uh, upgrades you can obtain by exploring around and you find these... Um, I forget the name of them. I, can't, I believe they're called Pieces of Glory. They look sort of like an apple. Um, there's a lot of symbolism in this game to like the uh, Garden of Eden and, uh, you know, the forbidden fruits of knowledge that the, that the serpent tries to tempt Adam and Eve to eat. Uh, if the Nahobino finds one of these fruits, he gains a bunch of what's called glory points, which he can then use to buy permanent upgrades for himself, such as uh, making sure that um, he has stronger affinity with different spells. Uh, his demons have more uh, attack slots. He can uh, have a larger host of demons following him around. Like at the point of the game that I'm in, I have the ability to have up to 20 demons uh, in my roster of, of uh, characters. So that's pretty cool. And uh, there's a lot of other ch uh, changes to it as well. Like I'm really impressed how they handled the 3D uh, renditions of uh, Kaneko style and Doi style. Uh, Doi is the new artist for the series. Uh, a lot of the models and artwork and sort of like how they designed the characters you can tell that uh their work on or the work of persona 5 and how the models look in that one really helped uh the smt uh development team uh, out with uh creating the characters in uh the smt uh, 5 engine so it's cool to see that they you know th that the teams kind of work back and forth and help each other with their designing and everything uh anyway um 
exploration in this game is probably is definitely one of my favorite parts, and it is fantastic. And it's a great change of pace for the series. Uh, areas in the game that you travel to and dot they're absolutely huge. Uh, area two in particular, I was surprised at how big that one ended up being by the time I got done with it, and how you like move your way around it because there's um, a lot of climbing you can do, a lot of like ascension. You have this really high jump. You can run at top speed to like get all across the place pretty fast. Uh, you eventually gain a fast travel option to go between the different uh, waypoints that you discover, like your save points and things like that. And um, let's see. And what's cool about these areas too is that not only is there so much detail and um, uh, kind of the visual storytelling, but there's also a lot of uh, the monsters and creatures interacting with the world as well. So, you know, all of us being Dragon Quest fans, you know, we've all seen how Dragon Quest Eleven handled monsters on the overworld. You know, one they might interact with each other or they'll interact with the environment or they'll be like in disguise, like hiding until you get close and they'll jump out at you. That's the same sort of thing that they actually did in SMT5. Uh, so some examples are you'll see some of the smaller demons like the Kodama who are swinging around on lampposts. Uh, you see giant demons like uh, Set from Egyptian lore and Huanglong uh, watching over the skies. You also have uh, like the four, I forget, uh, what is it? They're the four kings of Buddhism who will like survey the land from a high point as you explore different areas. So there's a lot of really cool details. And if you're kind of familiar with the series and seeing those demons, it's like, oh, it's really cool that they did that. Um, I was just surprised, you know, again, how expansive each area was and all the stuff you could find. And I really found myself taking my time, like combing through each area and trying to find as many secrets as I could. And speaking of secrets, SMT now has its own take on mini metals. You can find little creatures called Mimen uh, all over the place. Uh, they're small demons who help their master Gustav, who is in charge of uh, the Cadaver's Hollow, which you can go to to sell your items and collect new ones uh, through a maca that you earn. And all these little guys are scattered across each area. Uh, for every five of them that you find, you'll receive a new reward from Gustav. Each one has something unique to say. And based on some of their dialogue, it seems like the Mimen uh, may have once been human. Because a few of them make awfully suspicious comments about places you find them at. Um, unfortunately, I'm only halfway through Area 3 of the game. I haven't had a whole lot of time to play it just with the holidays coming around and just when I eventually did get my copy. But I have absolutely loved this game. It's been so much fun and it's feels like for all that waiting that we had to do for this game like it feels like it was very much worth it, at least in my opinion um playing an rpg that focuses on the gameplay side of things a little more than sort of the story side that was really cool especially for a turn-based one nowadays and it was exactly what i was hoping for and i really enjoyed sort of this mystery of the story and how it's presented itself in the game and you know what the whole story behind the nahobinos are and this organization that the protagonist eventually comes across and what's going to happen to some of these human characters that he's that have come in and out of his life ever since this all started. Uh, this game was definitely worth the wait. And while I've been uh, playing pretty slowly again, just with what time of the year it is, I've really enjoyed my time with it. I definitely would say this is my favorite RPG of the year that I've played along with uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon and Saga Frontier Remastered, which would be shortly behind this one. But yeah, I have a lot of praise for SMT5. I'm not done with it, like I said, but I've really enjoyed it. And I'm actually really glad that a lot of my predictions from way at the beginning of this year with um, our anticipated games of 2021, uh, with how this game sort of has some connections and parallels to Nocturne, have been pretty spot on, actually. <laughs> I was pretty happy about that one. I told Platty about that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is all I have to say about SMT5. Um, 
Any guys have anything you'd like to say or chime in? Sounds like a love letter SM- to SMT games, but as we know, it doesn't have the heart. So I don't Dear know. God, do I have the ability to uh, mute <laughs> in here? After you I made don't... that joke, yes, go ahead. <laughs> oh, hey, God. they've had some yeah. good sales for this game already. They have. Yeah, thirty-five dollars yesterday. Yeah, I know it's crazy. I'm not sure what the hell that's about, but um, I would be I'm so not... mad if I bought the game at launch. Uh, you know what? Like a Dragon did the same thing. I want to say mm-hmm. I got Like a Dragon, what, maybe four, six weeks after it came out, and I think mm-hmm. I paid 30 Yeah, it, it Atlas games are kind of weird like that, though, because there'll be times where their new games come out, and it could be like maybe a few weeks later, and you start already seeing price reductions. So I'm not sure you know, how that snowball got started with SMT5, but from everything I've seen, the game did have really uh, strong sales at the, you know when it first came out. As it's um, so far the highest-performing uh, SMT game of the main series, which is really cool because, you know, four was had a really strong start as well. So it's cool to see that five is sort of continuing on, you know, that strong start and, you know, getting, you know, out there and hopefully more people will be able to, you know, check out the series as well. And hopefully Persona was the main series. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully though, the success of uh, this game, Uh uh, Persona is the love letter to uh, SMT. There you go. It's got the heart. Yeah, hopefully the success of this one will, uh, you know, kind of prompt Atlas to maybe look into doing some more of like the side games or more of the spinoffs that they did sort of in the PS2 era, like with Digital Devil Saga, uh, Devil Survivor. Um, Yeah, Persona was technically part of that, too. I mean, really, the (laughs) PS2 era was when they kind of just went like all out with what they did. So hopefully, you know, the success of this one and obviously with Persona, you know, five being you know big success that both of these ones will start prompting Atlas maybe to have a little more. Uh, our teams at Atlas have a little more creative freedom and maybe try uh, out some other styles of SMT games again. Like, you know, it'd be cool if we could see another, um, uh, what am I thinking of, a strategy RPG like there was back on the Super Nintendo with that uh, Megami EK, I forget the name of that one. There's a strategy game from that system. So, you know, it'd be cool to see stuff like that come back. So I play that. Is that the Raido Kuzunoha game or something? No, that's Devil, that's a Devil Summoner Raido Kuzunoha. Those are on the PS2. So they did uh, like PS2 that. had a million different. Yeah, yeah. Types. There's a ton yeah. on there. But Devil Survivor, uh, Pendy, if you are interested, just mention this real quick. The Devil Survivor games on the DS and the 3DS, those are ones that are strategy RPGs, and you know those are good ones to check. Like they're that. kind of like a spiritual successor to um, a love letter. You could those say. games. <laughs> they're like Fire Emblem type games. Uh, sort of a, a little grid, bit. Grid based kind of kind of thing. Kind, yeah, kind of. It, it does have more of the team building stuff of um uh, SMT games though. So you you do get to have a little more like creative freedom with like your party setup and everything. Oh, I mean, there's I played games like that too, where the with the okay. same setup. I was just wondering, like, game. So is it more strategy or is it more tactical? <laughs> well, like. Okay, so here's one way I've heard it put. Strategy is, you know, you've got your characters that follow you through all the time. Tactical is, like, you're just throwing out a bunch of different units. Mm -hmm. Well, you only have four playable characters at a time on a map, and you have... each Can you have, like, four two, Jack Frosts? I don't think... No, unfortunately, it still plays by regular SMT rules where you can only have one demon of a kind in your party. Got it. Okay. <laughs> but, um... Oh. Yeah, that's sort of how it does it. But um, yeah, really, like if you are looking to get into the series, I would say SMT5 is a good one to check out. And I mean, hell, with the price that it's at right now, you might as well grab a copy. <laughs> Either that or try out Nocturne HD. But um, yeah, I really have enjoyed 5, and hopefully anybody that listens to it or cares will you know, give that game a shot. I, I definitely think 5 is a good entry point and really shows that this, they're not afraid to try some new things and you know, kind of expand on what you know, fans of SMT, you know, enjoy about the series, but also try and push it in sort of a new direction as well. So 
Uh, hope, fingers crossed that this game will be a, a big success for Atlas and that we'll get to see a little more SMT stuff. All righty, that brings us back up to the top of our order. We have Austin Ervar back with uh, his second best game of the year. Something I've heard about, actually, but not heard much of. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised you've heard of this. So, yeah, my second game of the year would be Sword and Fairy 7. Um, this is a Taiwanese fantasy RPG. Um, it's developed by a company called Soft, Soft Star Entertainment. And it's traditionally been a Windows-based, or, yeah, uh, the first game came out for MS-DOS, but it's traditionally been a PC-based uh, RPG. Um, I'd never heard of this until uh, somebody wrote an article or did a video on Sword and Fairy 7. Um, th- what brought it to my attention is just how how beautiful this particular entry is. Uh, it, it takes takes advantage of uh, some of the newer tech in terms of graphics rendering, uh, like RTX and stuff. Um, But it's started, like I said, it started out on DOS in 1995 and uh, never saw a release outside of Asia. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was released in Taiwan and in China and and, uh, uh, they did a, a version in Japan a few years later. But it never made it to America until the sixth game, and now the the uh, the seventh game. Um, so I would it's it's hard to defend this game in uh, some senses. It's it's deceptively shallow because uh, when you when I first got into it, it was like this huge world, um, or at least the first first zone I was in felt like this huge world, and there was all these little side quests to go on. And it was just, I mean, it was gorgeous scenery. Um, but I very quickly realized that there wasn't a lot of meat to it in terms of the gameplay. Um, there's a lot of, uh, it's very cutscene heavy. It's, um, it's, uh, it's, all of the side quests are generally just fetch quests. So you might want to do them to get like some items and, and uh, stuff like that. But for the most part, you're sticking to the main quest here. Um, but there's something like undeniably charming about it, and I don't really, I don't really know why. I can't put my finger on it. it. Part of it is the, part of it is just the graphics and, and the the beautiful music. That's I'll have to look up the composer for uh, for this one. But the music is just some of the best I've heard in uh, a modern fantasy, and like it, it, it makes me want to go out and find the the uh, the soundtrack for it. But um. Yeah, like I said, uh, in terms of the gameplay, it's not, it's nothing, it's it's nothing that I would rush to tell anyone about, which is why I haven't really mentioned it to anybody uh, in the Dragon's Den until uh, tonight, just because it, when I first started playing, I did want to sort of go out and say, hey, has anybody heard of this? And start talking about it and talking it up. But uh, the farther I got into it, I, I didn't want to... Um, I wasn't sure if I if I would recommend it. Ultimately, I think it's definitely a franchise that's worth looking into. Uh, especially some of the older games seem to have um, seem to have done more to forward the RPG as a genre. I've checked out the first one a little bit on DOS, and uh, looking into the story behind it seems to indicate that what was so impactful about it was the story and the writing. But um, looking at some of the Taiwanese and Chinese uh, fan 
communities centered around this. The opinion of Seven is that it's the story is probably the weakest out of all of them. Um, just uh, I, th I think what it is is these games are very much based around Chinese mythology, and that it belongs to a genre of fantasy called Wuxia. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right which is a Chinese progressionist fantasy. Um, and uh, what, I, what I saw was that a lot of people who are familiar with that genre already were very easily able to predict what was going to happen in, in this uh, Sword and Fairy 7. To someone who's not familiar with that genre might not have that problem at all. Like for I mean, me, I have, a, I have no uh, preconceived expectations for the story and I've just been enjoy enjoying it as I go along. Um, as from what I've seen so far, the actual plot of the story is pretty, uh, it's compelling enough. Uh, what brings it down is the translation, which um, has not improved since the sixth game came out. The, the translation just is poor at best. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll understand what's going on and you can follow the directions. I don't think I've had any, any cases where uh, any of the in-game instructions have failed me. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely got that trademark poorly translated Asian to English uh, script. So it's was hard. It, was this game actually released in the West, or was it like a Southeast Asian release that also happened to have English? Because some of those right. games are, have a tendency to have bad translations, at least in the past. Right now, this is a this is a Western release. Um, okay. Starting starting with the sixth game, they started rele releasing them in the West. Um, uh, I believe the sixth game was on PS4 and PC. This one is only on Steam currently. But um, yeah, uh, I think they're, they've been made aware that the translation is holding the game back a bit. There's a uh, talk amongst the English fans on their like their official Discord and the Steam forums about you know can we get can we like for the next game can can you pay somebody you know a little bit more to to do a a more decent <laughs> translation? I don't know if if they're actually contracting out to a company to localize this or if they've just got somebody in the office who you know <laughs> they threw it in the google translate hey that's you what speak english <laughs> right yeah so i don't they're I just don't like know. you that's know what we'll it just pay like. google translate to do it for us it's fine i'll just <laughs> yeah but bob, um, bob, can, bob can smooth that out <laughs> that's what it feels like but mm -hmm. no I, I, like i said like, or i was gonna say it's i feel like the more i talk about it, it it's like a negative review but uh i don't know what it is it's it's very charming the monster designs are are rather good um even even uh with the poor translation like unlocking stuff in the bestiary uh it can be pretty <laughs> fun and reading about the monsters uh they have some some novel ideas in terms of like like their monster design and and you know the backstory behind them and stuff like that. Uh, the combat is fun. It's nothing special, but it's it's entertaining to play. Um, yeah, uh, I think I've hit all the high points. Beautiful music, beautiful graphics. Um, good story so far. I haven't finished it yet, but I intend to, and then I intend to play some of the older games in this series. So, are any of the older ones translated, or are there fan translations? This doesn't sound uh, like something that there's been a bunch out yet. No, yeah, like I said, five got or uh, six got an official translation. Uh, the original Sword and Fairy for DOS um, has a fan translation that was done like in 2000. Um, so you can you can find finding the script is easy uh, if you you can buy all of them on Steam even if you're like in a, a Western region. Even the ones that aren't translation translated, you can buy them on Steam and uh find the patch and figure out a way to get that to work i've already 
I've done that. It wasn't too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think any of the others have had fan translations yet. Um, it, looking up stuff for this game was a little bit of, took a little bit of uh, digging oh, and yeah. I was a little surprised that, um, it's. I mean, I, I failed to mention this earlier, but this is a very popular game in in China and Taiwan. Um, it's it's. Uh, it was made into a TV show, like in the two thousands in China. Um, it's it's known as one of the. Uh, I don't. I guess impactful RPGs, and in, in mm-hmm. terms of just like it, it really. I think it was one of the first, at least in Asia, to to really pull off the story in, in that time. Because if you're thinking back in the '90s, RPGs, you know, they didn't have much story to them. You know, most games didn't anyway. Anyway, I think really uh, Dragon Quest IV was probably the first one to have like such a chunky story back, you know, mm-hmm. that long ago. Um, and it was like I said, it was on PC, so uh, or it was on DOS, and that was widely available to um the asian market and i think it was one of the most pirated games of the 90s (laughs) yeah you talking about how it's hard to find info i i haven't had that with this game of course but i've had that with some other rpgs where i've played and if they're not super popular boy it's hard finding info on especially in english for yeah for the games no yeah that's that's the thing is finding in english yeah because there was one game i played years ago on my vita uh, Stranger of Sword City. You know how hard it was to find any info on that game in English for some of the harder parts of the game? <laughs> I had to try and use Google Translate, just bringing that joke back, to try and uh, find some websites so that could help me out in Japanese. So I'm sure you might run into that same thing, but maybe not with the Discord if you went, were you a part of that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Discord seems to have... It's mostly Chinese users, but there's some English-speaking people there. And... Um, um, it's like I said. It's it's finding the info in English is the tricky part. Um, I, I don't know. It's I, I want to I want to like this game a lot more than I do, and I'm I'm hoping like the stuff that's holding them back uh, gets solved with the next release. You know, if if they clearly they're trying to to uh, build somewhat of a market in the West because they've released two games here now. So. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe Sword and Fairy Eight will be the one I can you know confidently recommend to most people. If yeah. uh, if uh, poor translations aren't your thing, <laughs> then just skip over it. Like if that's really gonna hold you back from enjoying it, then uh, yeah, that's it, probably not for you. All but, your base belong to us. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, so gentlemen? Did, did you say this was a turn-based game? It is not a turn-based. It is an action. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even know that uh, Taiwan had uh, video game companies at all, so that's that's uh, interesting to hear. Yeah, uh, like I said, this uh, apparently they do a couple of games like this, and this is like one of the most iconic ones. Hmm. Makes me wonder if um, game, well, I, I guess I have to watch footage for myself, but I wonder gameplay wise if this is kind of like the uh, Ease games because if they're action RPG, it could be that sort. Of, is there a lot of like dodging and rolling and that sort of yeah. thing? Or okay. yeah. Is there a lot of like, um, oh goodness, what is it? There's like flash guard and um, flash dodge. Is there that like, if you get like the timing just right and you dodge or block an attack, like you get a little like a few seconds of invincibility? Do you uh, get that sort of thing in this game? Not that specifically, but there there are um, like timed timed moves and stuff like, uh, and and you know you have a party, so you have like team up moves and stuff that that uh, you can do. You know, okay. combo, there are move com- movement combos, attack combos, that sort of thing. I'm oh, not, okay. I'm not like a, a a big ARPG guy, so um, 
it's very easy, easily. Like I'm, I'm 100% positive there are much better RPGs to dedicate your time to. But um, I, I, what what really sets this one apart is its tone and atmosphere, and mm. and the, uh, the like I said, the graphics are just absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Well, if we're talking about someone who's absolutely gorgeous. Then we're back to Evan. Oh, oh that comment was a real love letter of how Platty feels <laughs> about him. <laughs> Anger All building. Right. So, so uh, my game was House of Ashes. So basically, there ever since Until Dawn came out, the developer Supermassive has been trying to like recreate that game's success by making uh, these different kinds of games. And recently, over the last couple of years. They uh, made this series called the Dark Pictures Anthology, which is basically uh, bite-sized versions of Until Dawn. Usually they run about four, five, at max six hours long, and they have much fewer characters than in uh, Until Dawn. So it's a, uh, it's a series of story-driven horror games where choices will affect who lives and who dies. Um, I think each game is a love letter to established horror themes. Uh, the first game, Man of Medan, took place on like, a ghost ship. Uh, Little Hope was like sort of like the witch trials mixed with uh, Silent Hills. And the third game, the game that I enjoyed the most, one of the games I enjoyed the most this year, was uh, House of Ashes, which uh, traps your playable characters underground and pits them against monsters similar to the, the horror film The Descent. So the basic plot is, you play as four American soldiers, Eric and Rachel King, Jason and Nick, and one Iraqi soldier named Salim, and this all takes place uh, during the Iraq War. Uh, the American soldiers are on a mission to find WMDs, weapons of mass destruction, uh, when they're interrupted by an ambush that Salim is a part of. And the, um, the combat kind of leads to a cave-in that traps uh, your characters under in an abandoned underground temple. And from there, the idea is you want to help all these characters... Uh, survive uh, the situation. Uh, it's it's these games are sort of similar to they're like a more fleshed out version of Telltale games and uh, Quantum Dream games like Heavy Rain, Detroit Become Human games like those. Um, but usually those kinds of choice and consequences style games they kind of railroad you on a set path and you get like one two three diverting uh, endings. And, you know, maybe one choice results in a character saying something different or there's some dialogue that's a little bit different or, you know, maybe three or four big choices that aren't acknowledged for the rest of the game will contribute to whichever ending you get. Uh, the, the, the Until Dawn and Dark Pictures game games function a little bit differently where there really is only one ending and that is to have all of your characters survive that's the only one you're shooting for um worst case scenario all of your characters can die um but there can be a mix of characters that can survive and for the most part this is throughout the entirety of the game every every character i think from like hour one you can start losing characters and i think that was kind of what was so amazing about this game because i had actually managed to go my first playthrough without getting any characters killed which is crazy to me I think I did bump into two situations where a character was killed off, but simply 
uh, reloading and going back in and choosing the opposite option uh, made sure they made it through that situation. Um, so basically the gameplay is like sort of, um, oh, here, here are some enemies. Sometimes you will, uh, your character will fire, you know, shoot their guns. Uh, sometimes they'll have knives they'll stab with. One character carries a, a rusty pipe they, um, they attack with. Uh, you Oftentimes you're, you're button mashing a prompt that appears on screen, like keep pressing X or uh, point in this direction to dodge, slide this way, do that. Occasionally there will be an instance where you have to um, not make a sound, and usually that involves just pressing a button as a heart monitor goes um, to avoid, you know, making a sound and your character gets attacked or something like that. Um, and what I find most impressive about the way choices are done is that um, usually the smaller decisions you make will often compound on each other and will either give you more opportunities to survive a situation, it will take away an opportunity, it will narrow uh, the chance of something happening, it will improve your odds. Um, I think a good example would be there is a scene way at the end, the last hour, hour and a half of the game, where, where there is a character who is at risk of getting uh, killed. And there's about three or four different ways they can die. And if you manage to keep one other character around long enough, um, they can sort of override one or two potential ways they can die and save them. And if that character's not there, there's one less way for that character to make it. Or um, very early in the game, you're given the option to take white phosphorus with you, and you can decide whether you know that's too much, that's too aggressive, or you decide you want to take it with you just in case. If you take it with you, a character can potentially use it on themselves, and that's another way that they can they can die. If you didn't take it with you, it's not a potential cause of death. Um, another good example was very very early in the game. I can go into more specific specifics in this one because it's very early. Uh, there's when as soon as they fall in the cave, they're split into three groups. Um, Eric and Rachel, they're a married couple. They're together. Uh, Jason and Nick, they're friends. They're together. And Salim is by himself. And uh, Nick and Jason find one of their uh, fellow soldiers uh, on the verge of death. And you can potentially save them for a bit longer. Uh, you can like free them from the situation and help them and patch them up, and you can go on your way. But if you've done that, you have set a course for potentially killing Eric in a separate scene. See, Eric and Rachel, they're in a situation where Rachel's hanging from a rope and Eric is holding on to her. And in my playthrough, I didn't save the soldier. It was a miscommunication with button prompts and I couldn't save him. So uh, Nick and Jason went on their way without him. And uh, Eric's given the opportunity to cut a rope because he's slipping and there is an enemy combatant off in the distance who is at risk of seeing them. I chose not to cut the rope because I didn't know what would happen to Rachel. I don't know if she would fall to her death. I don't know what would happen. But I did know that if there is a situation where Eric can slip and stab himself and die, because as you play through the game, you can find these items that can give you a clue as to a character's fate and one of them just shows you eric falling and dying but for some reason i was like no i'm gonna have eric hold on as long as possible and see what happens and because nick and jason weren't held up they by uh by helping another soldier they were able to come to me in time and help eric even if rachel's rope snapped and she fell anyways if they had been held up helping 
the, you know, the other soldier, an enemy combatant would have seen you and shot Eric and killed him, and Rachel would have fallen anyways. So it's little choices like that that can kind of compound on each other. Um, another example is uh, during a fight, uh, Jason sees a um, a, um, a non-combatant, you know, just civilian running away. Jason tells them to stop. They don't. Um, you have the ability to shoot them or not. For some reason, I don't know why I didn't remember this, but for some reason I thought you had to shoot them. So I did. And a, another character had witnessed this. And this resulted in them having a neg- having distrust in the other characters. So when they meet up with the other characters, they instantly choose to be hostile and shoot back. And that was how one of my characters died. Um, but you have the ability to have that character stay hidden and then run away later. Uh, run away and join up with them later when there's less hostility. And the ability to choose not to do things is kind of uh, one of the key features to choice and consequences in this game. Because there are several uh, opportunities for you to decide to do something or not to. That was an instance where I had reminded myself, oh wait, you don't have to do something. Yeah, like I mentioned, you can choose not to bring white phosphorus with you. There's a scene where a character, like I mentioned, tries to use it. You can actually make them not use it. Um, there are several instances where you can choose to attack a monster, or leave them be, or um, just a lot of instances where you're not being forced to make a choice. You know, I think of the Telltale games where they say, you know, not saying something is a valid option, too, when really it's not. No one ever chooses not to say anything because they know nothing will happen from them doing that. Whereas here and even the other games, including Until Dawn, uh, they do actually have an impact whether you choose to act on something or not. Like I mentioned, I had two opportunities to cut a rope. It puts you in that scene. If you just let the uh, clock run out, he'll not do it. And so I feel like that was like one of the more interesting aspects of a choice and consequence game where all the little things you do can improve or worsen your odds in various ways. And I feel like uh, the, uh, the previous two games did those, uh, Man of Medan and Little Hope, but they didn't do them very well. And quite honestly, Little Hope was kind of not very good at all because it wasn't clear exactly uh, what your choices were going to lead to. They kept showing you flashbacks to uh, a witch trial that had happened, but you're not, it's not made very clear whether or not you're able to affect the outcome in any way, except for at the very end. It was very unclear and unfocused, and a lot of people didn't like it very much. It actually kind of almost destroyed the franchise because it was it was, it kind of was a stripped-down version of the two previous games. This one, though, took all of what was good about Until Dawn and Man of Medan and shrunk it down to a smaller experience with fewer more interesting characters. I know a lot of people didn't seem to like the characters very much. But I, I like pretty much every character except for maybe one or two. I felt like um, Salim was probably like a really interesting and fun character to be around. Um, his like bromance that develops with Jason, who's like a more jaded uh, military guy was really fun to watch. I was like really I was like cheering for them as they were working together and you know putting their differences aside. Um, but I, I most of it is criticism most of the criticism comes from how the American soldiers are kind of like stereotypes of the two, early 2000s kind of soldiers. You have like the no nonsense woman. Uh, you have like the 
jarhead guy who you know he wears a never forget 9-11 hat all the time uh there's another guy who's kind of like the douchey blonde haired guy with the glasses who's like the military intelligence guy um it was it was but like seeing them all interact with each other in this situation and seeing how they balanced off each other with their own problems eric and rachel have like this strained relationship jason is sort of struggles with his like i I don't want to say like he's overly militaristic but he's very enthusiastic and no nonsense in regards to those kinds of things and then salim he wants to get home to his son uh he's coming into conflict with all these american soldiers who he's at war with um it was just a lot it was i felt like seeing them work together uh was a really interesting thing and you do see them sort of develop over time beyond their generic stereotypes i feel like wait, wait, wait. i got i got to cut you off here for a second so did they have the uh the, the military stereotype of like the of tendy the air force guy uh <laughs> who does who does administrative desk work? Did they have that? <laughs> um, there was so Jason. He does that like oorah, you know, you know the uh, all my six. He's got that very southerny, you know, j- uh, jarhead aesthetic going. He has that. He has like a mm. weird thing with his mouth. He does. I don't know. I really don't know how to describe him other than if you've seen a war movie at all, you've seen a character like this guy. Um, but yeah, like, I think another great thing about these games is they are always improving the quality of life. I mean, uh, it, would it shock you to tell you they've, they have uh, consistently improved QTEs of all things? So in the original Until Dawn, it was just a button appears, press it quickly before you run out of time. And that was it. You didn't get any sort of alert to it. Um, it just kind of appeared on your screen and you, got, and you have to react quickly. And I know that was kind of like how QTEs normally are. But these games have kind of developed in a way where, like, you hear a you hear an unobtrusive like bing noise, and then a image will appear on screen the same size as the QTE that will kind of give you an idea of what you're doing. Like, there's a picture of a knife. Okay, you're about to stab a knife. Here's a picture of a gun. You're about to do some shooting. You're about to press this button multiple times. You're gonna do that. It was like there was a there was like a wait. You know, you could you knew when to. It was time to start reacting to things. So you could like sit and take in the game and not worry about things. Um, I even remember. I don't remember if this happened in Little Hope as well, but in uh, House of Ashes, um, sometimes you'll find an item on the ground that will just move the story along even if you're still exploring um in house of ashes there's a there's a a little prompt that appears on screen uh around that particular item telling you that it'll move the story forward so if you want to keep walking around checking out the area finding items and such do not press that button so it gives you like a warning there's also a lot of accessibility options added in i remember uh the monsters had a gimmick that was the same again uh, between uh, the first and second game, uh, Man of Medan and Little Hope, and people were kind of bummed out by that, especially because Little Hope wasn't good, very good at all in general. Um, so before the game even came out, the, um, the developers were like, "Hey, just so you know, the monsters will not be similar to what we did in those two games." So they even told you ahead of time, "Do not worry, we're not repeating that mistake." There was also like the criticism when Man of Medan came out where it's like, oh boy, you're playing as hot teenagers again, just like you did in Until Dawn. Well, they made sure in 
Little Hope, for all its faults, uh, you play as uh, two old people as well. And in this game, you play as um, four, uh, four military men. Uh, one of them is a woman. Um, there's an African-American guy in there. Then there's obviously Salim, who's an Iraqi soldier. So there's a little bit more diversity than just you're playing as sexy teenagers or here's some college kids or something like that. So I, w- I think overall it's definitely I would I honestly I replayed until done after finishing uh, House of Ashes. I might like House of Ashes more than Until Dawn. It doesn't look as good in some ways. Uh, you don't play as as many characters, but I didn't realize how few characters you got to utilize as much in Until Dawn. There are, there's multiple parts where you don't play as certain characters for like five, six hour stretches, whereas you bounce back and forth pretty frequently in House of Ashes. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a good, it was a really good story driven game. Um, it's political without you know getting overly in your face with politics. So I guess I just broke the other rule about talking about talking politics on the podcast. Um, I feel like it was, it's like like an interesting, like you don't often play as soldiers in like in, well, you do play as soldiers a lot in games, but you don't play as soldiers in this kind of context, really, when you think about it. And especially in horror based games, like you're armed with guns the whole way through, which is kind of unusual in a horror game. Yeah, usually it's like Joe Blow. It just happens to run into something. But yeah, you're right. They don't usually have like, like mili- a, um, play military members in a horror horror game. Yeah, and um, another cool thing is that the guns aren't as, aren't super effective against the monsters. It only pushes them back. You have to actually stab them with like a knife or uh, a, a spear of some kind. Um, at one point, you blow up a couple, so it's not like you. It's a, a big shooty, shooty, bang, bang type game. In that respect, usually it's like you're using suppressing fire, so another character can come from behind and stab them. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting was uh, you can't. There's some facts that you might not hear that can result in another character dying. Like, for example, there you can potentially not find out what the monster's weakness is until way later. And that can result in a character not knowing to use a weapon because you get access to a UV light with one character. And if that character doesn't die, he's one of the earliest characters who can die. Um, you can go pretty much the entire game without using this UV light, and it would take even longer for your characters to learn that uh, light can kill these monsters. So you run into like more trouble down the line. Or if you have a, like a negative relationship with the character in some way, they might betray you. I remember I didn't see the scene, like myself playing it, but I did see an instance where at the very end, the surviving characters didn't believe another character and just killed him because of the way a situation plan- played out. The trust wasn't built high enough, stuff like that. Or there's a character who can who's trapped in a space and they believe he is um, he's dead, but another character hears him over the radio. And if you were hostile towards that character or something, he won't alert the rest of the party to him still being alive and leave him for dead. And that can cause you to miss an entire scene. There's like whole scenes that you can miss, like large 20-minute chunks if a character doesn't make it. All right. Well... <laughs> I think we've heard a good amount about that. Got a good idea of, <laughs> <laughs> of the darkness. Oh, yes. The, uh, the, the Dark Pictures anthology there. Um, oh, darkness, my old friend. 
<laughs> it sounds like you are BFFs. Oh, yeah. Definitely looking forward <laughs> to the next game. One last thing I'll mention is um, these games often hire like a C-list actor to be the face of the game. So, like, I know they hired the guy who played Iceman in the X-Men games for Man of Medan. Um, they had that kid from Were the Millers in the second game. Oh, he's about to be like an A-lister with the part he got. Yeah, and um, in this game, they had Ashley Tisdale as like the the front, you know, <laughs> front of the box actress. Nice. All righty, Pendy. Talking about BFFs, let's uh, talk about a quartet plus of uh, BFFs that live in a tiny little town. A tiny little mountain town. Tiny that is mountain right. Town. <laughs> so my number two game. Of this past year was uh, South Park: The Stick of Truth. It came out for many different systems back in uh, 2014, and it got a Switch port back in uh, 2018, which is what I played. I played the Switch port. What I didn't realize for quite a while before I picked this up is that this is a straight-up turn-based RPG. I had no idea uh, for a long time. I was really uh, excited about that. I never expected this type of game to come from the franchise, and I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, in the game, you play the new kid. Uh, and as the new kid, you find all the other kids in South Park are playing a fantasy game where they're at war with each other. You end up joining Cartman and the humans to battle the evil elves for control of the Stick of Truth. Eventually, you un uncover a conspiracy involving a Nazi zombie virus, of course. Uh, throughout the game, you gain more power and clout by befriending characters on Facebook, which I thought was amusing. Uh, you start out... <clears throat> you start out with a new kid character that you can use a character creator to make your own look and you can unlock uh, more accessories to change your look as the game goes on. Uh, it's turn-based combat and you get to strategize with melee and long-range attacks as certain enemies require one or the other sometimes. Uh, abilities such as stun, fire, or getting someone to bleed out can be really crucial to battle as well. Uh, what's unique is that your party is actually completely healed after every battle. This is new to me. So some battles uh, can be tough, but it's balanced by the fact that you can go all out every time. There's no worrying about using too much MP or anything else. Uh, it's just an all-out brawl every single fight, whether it's a boss fight or just a regular fight. It's just like a saga game. Every time you get done with a battle, you get fully healed. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't have much experience with saga games, so I didn't know that. That's awesome. You can also heal... And then attack in the same you know, in the same round, yeah. Yeah, your 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 character heals doesn't lose their turn. Nope. Yeah, it's it's a it's a neat little mechanic to it. Uh, I thought it was weird at first, but I came to like it a lot uh, very soon into the game. Uh, also, throughout the game, you'll get famous characters like Butters or Kenny to battle with you as well. And much like uh, Final Fantasy One that I just talked about before, you get to pick a starting job that you have throughout the game. Uh, me personally, uh, I went with the fighter class as its uh, Rochambeau move is extremely funny, uh, considering the uh, what it is and how it's related to the, the show. And useful, very useful, because it stuns people. As uh, If you know what Rochambeau is, you know how. <laughs> uh, through battles, you can unlock and upgrade major skills asso associated with your class. And as you progress, you're able to wander through the town of South Park, do side quests, and go to where you need to go for the main quest. There are tons and tons of references from the show to find, and you can explore the houses and business businesses of many of the characters that you know and love, if you're familiar with the show. Now, the game is not for the faint of heart. It is just as raunchy as the show it's based on. They don't pull back at all. Uh, 
And I then, think it was uh, more raunchy, to be honest. Yeah, I, I could, I could, uh, I could see that, especially with some of the things that you could do and some of the some <laughs> some of the characters that you run into. Crazy bosses, absolutely yeah. ridiculous. It's not not so. Uh, in my personal experience, uh, usually games based off of uh, other IPs can be very hit and miss. Uh, they can be very notoriously uh, bad, in fact, especially in the early days of video games. But you can tell uh, a lot of time and effort was put into this to make an make it a very enjoyable game and make it great for the fans of the show. Uh, and it's very short, too, actually. Uh, I remember there was a discussion in the Dragon's Den Discord recently about modern RPGs being too long, with many of them being like 70 hours plus and stuff like that. But the uh, I went to the website howlongtobeat.com, and it put Stick of Truth in, in uh, about an average of 11 hours to beat. Uh, it's a lot of fun, though. Uh, I think it's just the right amount of time, uh, as far as I'm concerned. It's uh, it's a great time, and I look forward to playing the sequel, The Fractured Butthole. <laughs> Looking to get into that butthole? <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, happens. Now, that happens in this game. Yeah, it, literally. Literally. Lemme yeah. winks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, EAL, I know you said you wanted to, you had a couple of points on this game, too? We were talking about that uh, before. Yeah, the, so... Yeah. I I love this game. I totally agree with you. One problem I had with this game, though, was a un, un, absolutely ridiculous number of uh, items, weapons, collectibles that are just completely locked out if you leave an area. Like oh, if you yeah. like, there's a area where if you don't go with it, if you go there only once and you can't ever go back, and there's like collectibles that are missing. There's equipment that's missing, and that's normally fine with equipment, but, like, equipment is also a collectible as well. So, like, if you're playing on PlayStation 4 or PS3 or Xbox 360, whatever, you're someone who wants to complete the game or, you know, you want to collect the trophies or whatever, you've completely locked yourself out. And there isn't enough save slots where you can rotate your saves reasonably. I think I only had like four or five or six or so. So if you're like rotating every, you know, 20, 30 minutes, you've, you've within like an hour or two, you've already just by sa- rotating your saves blocked yourself out of going back to an area. Yeah. It's not, um, it's, it's not missable friendly. Like that's something that Dragon Quest 11, I thought was perfect in every respect when it came to that because there's no missables in that game anything that you need to go and get at some point you can go back and get it at at a later point in the game like you don't you can't miss anything what's crazy though is that this game is developed by obsidian like they know rpgs so it's crazy to me that they would allow something like missable items and collectibles in a game like you can't like you can't like you miss something and then you go go back to certain areas to collect stuff after you beat the game, nothing. It's. Re- I think there's even one or two missable quests. Um, there's one missable friend that's kind of funny. Where, if I remember correctly, you can friend you can befriend someone at the very beginning of the game. But I think was it Craig? I think it was Craig. You can befriend Craig at the very beginning of the game, and then he gets kicked out of the game, and he unfriends you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a that's a, a trophy you can, you can get in the PS3, PS4 version. Uh. That you can completely miss out on. I mean, it's at the very start of the game, so who cares? But I, I just thought it was kind of crazy. And then there's, um, you also get like assist, you know, assists. You know, you complete a certain quest, you get like Jesus can be an assist. Oh yeah, like they, su- basically summons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like Big Gay Al, but they only, if I remember correctly, the way it worked was you can only use them once a day, like yep. the in-game day, and there's yep. only like three or so days. So if you used uh, Big Gay Al earlier in a day, you can't have him come back if you're trying to get a specific trophy that requires having him be used at a certain time. Like weird stuff like that. And it was very strange. And it, it bothered me. I think I... I restarted this game straight up three times, and the last time I I went right on like I went on Game Facts, whatever, printed out a giant list of things you can miss, where they missed, and every time I got them, I highlighted them and saved, and I highlighted it again, make sure I didn't miss any items or collectibles. But like at the same time, you can't. I, I'm not too mad about it because, like you said, it is very short. I was able to complete the game in like 12 hours. Yeah. Once I once I started my last run, and it wasn't a very hard game. Like I think I probably lost once in my third playthrough. Like the entire time, I think it was probably against Al Gore, boss battle Al Gore. Um, I was playing on the hardest difficulty, and it wasn't tough. He's super serial, you guys. Super serial. <laughs> super serial. Super serial. You got it's man bear pig. Yes, it's it's man bear pig. Oh my god, he's part man, part bear, part pig. It's man bear pig. Super thrill. Let's no one believe it's me. basically a whole season of South Park. <laughs> it is, and it's very enjoyable. Yeah. Well, I thought it was cool with um looking like when this game was first coming out. Um, it was cool to see that Mastodon and Trey Parker like reference uh, games like Paper Mario and uh, Earthbound and stuff like that. Is what sort of influenced them to make an RPG in the first oh, place, awesome. and that the um, action command stuff that's in the game was inspired by uh, how Paper Mario and um, Mario and Luigi games do it, because those games are very much like, you know, if you, type, you hit your button presses at just the right moment, you get, you know, a stronger attack, or you get to, uh, you know, perfectly dodge an attack, or, like, lowers your damage, or what, what have you. So oh, it was, that's cool, right. it was cool Especially seeing stuff defense, like that. Yeah. See, I so, think that's kind of neat. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, with the, I forgot about that. Like, with the, whenever you're defending, like, you got to... If you, you time it right, you can uh, get a better defense. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's that's. I always like it when games do that, where they have like a little bit of timing into play, kind of like the Mario Mario and RPG or mm -hmm. the Mario and Luigi RPGs. I always like that kind of stuff. It's cool. One of my favorite parts is when you go to Canada. <laughs> I think a lot of people who like RPGs would uh, get a kick out of uh, what they do with Canada. Hmm, that sounds ominous. <laughs> i don't want to just tell everybody yeah no you got to leave that one a secret you got to see it for yourself <laughs> i mean you blame canada for everything so i mean it's true something's got to happen there well i mean you blame canada Canada's for the cause of that so many of my problems <laughs> i sure did it's flappy headed people always causing shit they're be little eyes man yeah i'm not your buddy friend he's not your friend guy <laughs> a cool thing about exploring in it is um even if you don't find an item or like a collectible or an unlock or something, uh, you'll usually stumble on some sort of reference to an episode. Yep. Like you'll open a closet and you don't find an item, but there's a whole bunch of, you know, Cartman's stuff because you're in his room. And it's like, oh, it's that episode or it's that episode or here's the thing from that episode. Oh, yeah. And there's like uh, there'll be places where like the radio will be on. It'll be like uh, specific songs from specific yeah. episodes and stuff like that. It's great. Yeah. You can collect Chin Pokemon. Oh, I love that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got shoe! <laughs> the best one. Yes. <laughs> All right, sounds like a very good game. I've heard a lot of good things about this. Uh, one of the better licensed RPGs out there. Oh, yeah. Because usually those are just, you know, pretty Oof. trash games that uh, 
they're there to make a buck with the movie tie-in or the TV tie-in or whatever. Yeah, yeah I remember playing the turn-based uh, Inuyasha game, and the only reason I got through it was because I liked Inuyasha a lot, but otherwise it was just it was it was pretty bad. Yeah, usually. All right. Well, let's uh, get a little bit more evil than even uh, things that happen in South Park um, with our resident player of evil games, Yangus. Yes. Your number two game. Yes. So this is one that actually surprised me with how much I liked it. Uh, and that's why I decided, you know, I wanted to put it at my, uh, at least on this list for talking about number two, because of um, I actually played through it twice back to back. But um for my next game, I'm going to talk about Resident Evil 7. Uh, this is one of the newer entries in the Resident Evil series uh, from Capcom. It released uh, January 24th, uh, 2017 on several platforms. I played the PS4 version, and the version that I had was the Gold Edition, which apparently had all the DLC included with it. I just bought it because it was on sale at Best Buy one time for 30 bucks, and I'm like, oh, that's a good deal for the game, so I'll get it now. Uh, anyway, uh, this game is set in the bayous of Louisiana and focuses on Ethan Winters, who, unlike um, the military-trained uh, people from <laughs> from Evan's second game, uh, he is just an average guy that gets thrown <laughs> into a crazy situation. <laughs> so he's not trained. I heard his hand gets injured a lot. Oh yeah, like you could. I would say you could count the times that uh, Ethan's hand has been injured on a hand, but um, that might be insulting to him. <laughs> but uh yes so uh this game is takes place in the bodies of louisiana and stars ethan winters as the character uh rather than focusing on like past protagonists like uh chris redfield or leon kennedy or anybody like that uh, uh ethan ends up going down to louisiana in search of his uh, missing wife mia who had suddenly uh, contacted him after disappearing three years prior to the start of the game. Uh, Ethan finds himself then trapped inside uh, the estate of the Baker family, who have gone um, a, little, a little nutty, that's a nice way to put it, uh, due to an outside influence that you uh, learn on later in the game. And you have, and Ethan hopes to uh, escape from the Bakers and reunite with Mia and get them both to safety. Uh, the game returns to the survival horror roots of Resident Evil, putting a great deal of focus on uh, knowing when to fight and when to flee, as well as knowing you know when to use certain resources and when to try and preserve them for yourself. Uh, there are many tense moments throughout the estate, uh, from the constant chase of Joe Baker in the mansion, uh, the bugs and screams of Marguerite as she tra- as she hunts you down in the uh, greenhouse and outdoor areas, and to the devious traps of Lucas Baker, who is definitely the person you want to kill the most in this game i'll just put it that way <laughs> he drives you nuts uh the only real ally that uh, ethan has in all this is uh, zoe baker uh, who contacts ethan at different points in the game to help him escape and try and find a cure to stop whatever it is that's been affecting zoe's family uh in typical resident evil fashion you learn that there are some biohazards in play that explains what's going on. Uh, most notable example being the strange black mold that you find all over the house, as particularly in the lower portions of it, where from it will spring forth these creatures that are called, they're simply called the molded. And um, if any of you guys have played Resident Evil 4 and seen the Regenerators slash Iron Maidens from the end of the game, that's pretty much the closest comparison I can make uh, to what the molded are, because they're super resilient, they'll bite your head off, they're they're honestly pretty damn scary when they, especially when they just appear out of the walls or, you know, drop uh, from the ceiling right on top of you. Um, so you definitely have to, you know, pay attention to the environment. And um, without going too much into spoilers, uh, there is, 
you know, a, a reason for all of this happening and the biohazard stuff. Uh, I believe at this point in the series, Umbrella has uh, you know officially been you know shut down and sort of rebranded as um, um, this military, for- well, not military force, um, this. Uh, defense force of sorts that comes in and deals with any biohazards instead of you know being the umbrella corporation that was in uh, previous entries like the ones that albert wesker was assigned to were the ones that created all of the um, bioweapons such as the uh, tyrant or creating like nemesis things like that uh, i'm not super experienced with uh, the lore of the series so i could be a little wrong on that one but just just going off what i little i know um and again, without going too much into spoilers, uh, I will say that I was surprised, um, you know, how well the game does foreshadow uh, just what causes the events of the game. And uh, if you're observant when you uh, are in the beginning portions of the game and you notice how certain characters are treated as you play, um, you kind of start putting the pieces together. And when you finally find out the truth, it's like, oh, crap, I knew it, you know. That was, pre- that was pretty cool, and that was fun about the game, for sure. Um, this was one of those times where I actually replayed a game right after I finished it. Uh, I wanted to see more of the game uh, after I played it the first time and after how it scared the shit out of me so many times. You know, I wanted to see if there was um, stuff that I either just completely ran past and didn't even know that it was there uh, for one reason or another. So I actually ended up restarting the game right after I beat it. I wanted to see if there was more. I wanted to see if there's anything I missed. And uh, sure enough, on my second run, I found a lot of new items uh, that not only helped me with my survivability in the game, uh, but also gave me some new experiences uh, with the enemy encounters and how the game works, uh, despite kind of knowing, you know, what to expect at that point. There were times where something would happen that I would either didn't know was going to happen, like um, early game example, uh, when Joe Baker is first chasing after you and... Uh, uh, what was it? When he's chasing after you, there's a point where you can try and escape through. Uh, you have to op- you have to get a key in order to open up this uh, escape or this uh, hatch of sorts in the pantry of the kitchen uh, to crawl in and uh, avoid him so you can get away from him. I actually was slow enough on my second playthrough of the game that he ended up catching me. And you know, you know, Evan, you made the joke before about how uh, uh, poor Ethan's hand goes through a lot of uh, pain and torment. Well, this time it was his foot that got the raw end of the deal because, I kid you not, um, he ends up cutting off Ethan's foot and throws it to the other side of the room and lets him crawl over there to try and grab it and put it back on and use the healing... Poor guy. St- I know, yeah. it's I, When that happened, I'm like, holy shit. Like, it was crazy. There was stuff the second playthrough. I just saw some crazy stuff that I didn't even know the game could do. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed that part of it as well, that I really like how the Baker family was handled too, that all of them are, you know, these, like when you have one of them chasing after you, or you have, um, like in Lucas's case where he's watching you and you have to try and avoid the stuff he sets up for you, uh, had it like, um, as, whereas you're, uh, progressing through his part of the mansion, it was honestly like, I really enjoyed that because it kind of keeps you on your toes and keeps the situation tense the whole time. Um, so I was really surprised with that, and I really enjoyed that aspect of the game. Um, like I said a little bit ago, the version that I bought uh, of Resident Evil 7 was the Gold Edition. I don't know when this particular version of the game came out, but it included all of the game's uh, DLC content, which I was glad to learn about that, because after I beat the game, I almost uh, nearly spent $15 uh, to buy one of the DLC episodes, and it was already included, so... That would have been a real waste of money if I would have bought it when I already had it then. Uh, I did enjoy most of the DLC content, and I did think that uh, it did offer some new ways to sort of experience the story or to just um, 
you know, use some of the gameplay mechanics in a brand new way. So that was cool. Uh, let me see. I The two stories that they have as like sort of a post-game story for you, those are really cool and did help answer some of the unexplained uh, questions and events of the game, as well as kind of diving a bit more into uh, certain characters and their, you know, possible relations with um, some unseen third parties in the game. Uh, other bits of DLC uh, were some... Things such as like a survival night mode where you have to like last for five hours and or through different waves of zombies or not zombies, excuse me, uh, through the molded and then Joe Baker showing up every now and then uh, you have the Ethan must die mode, which was a really funny nod to both the Dante must die mode from the Devil May Cry games, but also to the Dark Souls uh, you know, like the hardcore, like really difficult RPG sort of thing because it's randomized every single time you play it and you always got to try and find uh, new stuff to order to get through the challenges. It's really damn hard. <laughs> and uh, you have some really goofy ones, such as playing poker against the ever-changing Hoffman, who is another prisoner of the Baker family. And probably the funniest one of them all is the is Jack's 55th birthday celebration minigame, where you have to go around different parts of the mansion finding food and taking them to Jack so he can... Uh, satiate his hunger all while you have molded that are all wearing party hats and goofy things on them coming after you to help with the celebration <laughs> so they definitely kind of the dlc kind of goes all over the place but um even without that the base game itself is really good i really enjoyed it uh absolutely loved the game and was glad that i played it in october uh, for a new spooky game experience i've been trying to do that more more and more the last few years trying to get something new uh, like a spooky move like a scary movie or a game or a book or whatever the case might be so i'm glad that i finally you know pulled resident evil 7 off my shelf and uh, started it up i haven't played many of the games in the series so admittedly going in i wasn't sure how much i was going to enjoy the changes to 7 uh, particularly the first person mode that the game is entirely in because i'm not really a big fps uh, kind of guy but i and uh <clears throat> excuse me uh, I did enjoy it, and uh, I was really addicted to the game when I was playing through it because even though there are times where it's just like, oh, I don't know if I should keep playing, let's get in the slate, but I just could not put it down because I just wanted to see what was going to happen next or you know, what sort of um, creature you were going to come across then. Like There were definitely times where I was just so damn terrified to do anything <laughs> in the game, but it was, that was what part of the enjoyment was, was just seeing what was going to happen. Um, I won't spoil it because... Um, this game's not super long. Like it took me like for the two playthroughs I did, like I think the first one was like 10 hours and the second one was 12. Cause I took a little longer time. So it's not a super long game, but there's really cool. It, it's, it's nice. That the game's not super long either because um, it's easy then to like play through it in like a weekend or like a week or something. And then, you know, for that, I even play it for the Halloween season or whatever, like I did. Uh, and there were some parts of this game, like I said, that just scared the shit out of me. There was one part in particular, like halfway through the game, where you get to go into a locked part of the mansion after you've had an encounter with Marguerite. And you find one of the things you need for this uh, formula slash medicine that you're going to try to create in order to uh, fight against this black mold that's all over the house. And the scene where you end up turning around and uh, going out uh, from the way you came, because it's a one-way a trip to and from you have to go back the way you came oh my god that's probably the scariest damn part of the game <laughs> i remember turning around you see these feet right outside the door you open the door uh you get out you get to the end of the bedroom you open the door and there's one of those damn molded staring standing right there on the other side of the door and it just lunges at you as soon as you open that thing and even though i knew that was coming the second time i played it still scared the shit out of me <laughs> yeah mold so, in a house can be pretty dangerous i, I agree uh, with that Oh, yeah, no, but <laughs> yeah, th this is definitely killer mold for sure. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, this Mold was Ken. definitely a game that was a, a great surprise and one that I'm really glad that I did end up picking up. And I definitely want to play Resident Evil 8 now and, you know, see how, for one, how Ethan's story continues. But I want to see how Capcom uh, continues this first person style of Resident Evil game because I really enjoyed 7. I know a lot of other people really enjoyed 7. So I'm definitely curious to check out 8. And I would definitely recommend Resident Evil 7. Uh, if you are looking to either get into the Resident Evil series or you're just looking for a good new horror game, it's definitely one worth checking out. And I think it's on sale a lot nowadays and you know pretty cheap for just like a normal copy of the game. So uh, definitely would recommend it if you're looking for a new spooky game to play. Yeah, you got to you got to play eight and see if the uh, the big woman lives up to all the hype. <laughs> I'm definitely curious about uh, um, uh, joking jokes aside, like how that game is going to, you know, because I'm curious how that one's going to relate to four, actually, Pendy, because you know, back when we did our first Halloween episode, you know, you talked about four, you know, it takes place in like a rural part of Europe and everything. And, yeah. you know, it's all about survival out there. From my understanding, Resident Evil 8 actually kind of goes for a similar approach where you're out in the middle of Europe. And I think there's actually some relations to Resident Evil 4. Like, I think oh. one of the characters even purposely mentions uh, the merchant from that game. So nice. what a nice. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, like um, I know that you've you've played. Have you, what ones have you played, Pendy? Because I know you've played some of these games. I, I played four and five because well, and six, too, because it all, when it switched up to that more action based uh, third third-person perspective that's mm-hmm. when i got really got into them so i don't know if i'd be into seven and eight because it's a much different style of gameplay but um i don't know well you might you might enjoy it because you know like i said i just kind of took a chance with this game and i ended up really enjoying it so you know it could be the same case for you so huh? could be worth a shot you know maybe maybe all right but um yeah that's about all i have to say about resident evil 7 have any of you other guys played it or kind of aware of it or anything i haven't played seven i am interested in playing eight for uh, obvious reasons uh <laughs> but i don't know if it's the kind of game i'd be very good at i'm not usually very good first person style games um even though i love horror i'm actually not very good at all at um survival horror at all like i'm usually pretty bad at them uh so i i feel like i'll just i'll just appreciate uh, the cutscenes from a distance. Yeah, you know it. Um, this is a game that I would say, even if you don't play it, just to just to watch like somebody play through it online. If you if you know you don't want to play the game yourself, because it is pretty cool. Like some of the stuff that Capcom did. Um, I don't want to go too much into spoilers, even though this game is a few years old by this point. But it it, it does have some really uh, interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to keep repeating myself, but yeah, definitely would recommend this one if you're interested in uh, something new and something spooky. Ooh. All right, all right. Save it for next Halloween. Well, I mean, we talked. We technically did talk about it a little bit this past Halloween, but. <laughs> all right. Well, we better get year. Mr. Ross on here because uh, I know it's getting kind of late where all you guys are. I was going to say it may seem like uh, we've been going on infinitely about the uh, some of these games tonight, but uh, there is one game that apparently we're supposed to go on infinitely about, right? Awesome. Right. Oh, in- infinitely. Oh, I see what you did there. That's yeah. very clever. Because the game I'm talking about is Halo Infinite. So, yeah, this is the this is technically Halo 6 uh, called Halo Infinite. It's a it's it's Halo. I mean, what more can you say? <laughs> really? Uh, I could describe it. it's a first person shooter, but um, it released. Well, the campaign came out December 8th, but the free to play ver- the multiplayer 
came out uh, November 15th. Uh, it's free to play. Uh, you can pay $60 to get the campaign DLC, which is about 30 hours of story content. And this is a first for the franchise in that it's an open world shooter. So traditionally, Halo games had a about a 10... 10 or 10 to 12 level structure where you mostly linear there was some exploration in some levels uh a lot of the series and fans have sort of built a a um a i mean there's the speed run side of the community but also it's i mean it's there's a lot of uh i guess they're really replayable is the way i'd put it um uh there's a definitely a a big challenge uh challenge centric community about just going through the levels uh in different difficulty modes with difficulty multipliers on but um infinite sort of shakes all that up because it's an open world and it's not linear you can tackle different parts of the map you know as you want to and um it definitely it definitely changes how you play it if you're a fan of of halo i I definitely would say you would like this if you're a fan of open world exploration games then i'll definitely say you like this it it definitely borrows from uh, breath of the wild in a lot of aspects you've got that little moment at the beginning where everything sort of opens up and you can see all across the map and you just all you want to do is you know oh you see this place and oh can i go there and so you hop in a vehicle and try to drive over there and there's not very much that you're locked out from doing um overall the story is pretty solid it's definitely a step up from halo 5 which was not well received by fans or newcomers um the core gameplay of you know shoot enemy shoot bad guy pick up weapons find ammo it's all really polished and really good it, it feels like classic halo um the multiplayer is pretty much the same it feels really good although there's something to be said about the the greediness of the battle pass mechanism in terms of like cosmetics and customization that's uh leads some to, to be desired um I don't really know how much else I can say about it other than I loved it. Um, the, like I said, the campaign is really good. The core gameplay is really good. Uh, th- they released a surprisingly polished uh, uh, game. There's not a ton of bugs, which feels like an anomaly in, in this era. Whenever, a, especially a AAA title game comes out, there's tons of bugs, at least within the first week. And there really weren't that many nothing game breaking certainly maybe the maybe just a few visual glitches here and there that were out during the first week but nothing uh nothing big um yeah so if you're a halo fan then you'll like this if you're a fan of shooters you'll probably like this that's pretty much all i have to say about it yeah i've uh i was over at a friend's house who had this game well he had the multiplayer part and he was playing a lot of uh those uh, multiplayer matches online and it seemed pretty good um from what little of halo that that i've played in, in my lifetime but there's like this and i don't know if you can choose like which person you have but depending on the level you'd get like this little assistant uh assistant character in your ear that would tell you about certain things that were happening and how your team was doing. And some of them were cool, but there's this one guy that that sounded like the guy from Office Space who 
worked in the restaurant and was all about the flair. And it was that kind of voice. And it was so annoying. So it was like, oh, hey, we got jalapeno poppers and grenades and section five. Let's go get them. I was like, I just wanted to, to punch that guy in the face. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the uh, the AI you can customize and choose. I think there's like five or six of them right now. Yeah. Uh, they all have different personalities. Um, yeah, th- those can be pretty fun. If you find one you dislike, you can easily change it in settings. But again, I guess with only six of them, there's that's not a huge variety yet. Maybe they'll add more later. Yeah, it seemed to be random for him. Like he would just do, he would just do, you know, level after level, and then he'd get like certain, he'd get like different ones uh, every couple of levels. I don't know how how that that was for him, or if he couldn't change them, or what what the deal was. You're supposed to be able to equip it, and it that stays permanent. Um, I think there might have been a bug where you're hearing other people's uh, AI, because I know there 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 was a bug in theater which lets you. It's a mode that lets you view past uh, matches and stuff. Where if you go in there, you you definitely hear other people's AI and like the camera follows them and you have to switch over to you. Uh, so that you may, I don't know, maybe there was a bug with that in multiplayer, but it's, it's definitely a, an equipable that you can set and isn't supposed to change. But yeah, like the, the, the multiplayer is a ton of fun. If you enjoy getting online, just to shoot other people, uh, the actual gameplay is very polished. Um, and if you don't enjoy that, there's the campaign, which has the same it's, it's it still feels really good you just you uh if you're not good if you're not really good at online play it's that's a lot more manageable doing campaign nice and you know if you do enjoy shooting other people you know likely they die and when people die they come back as we all know as ghosts which leads right in to evan's uh personal game of the year here evan you want to talk about your number one on your list Yes. So uh, every year, every December, I like to pick a game uh, and really devote like a lot of time to it, play it throughout the entire season. You know, one year it was Super Mario Galaxy, stuff like that. Um, this year, uh, I decided it was going to be Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, it came out last year. It was like a PlayStation 4 exclusive. I think it's on PlayStation 5 right now. But uh, so basically, you play as the samurai Jin Sakai. He's the head of Clan Sakai, and you must find allies and adopt new and unorthodox methods to save Jin's uncle, uh, Shimra, Lord Shimra, uh, from an invading Mongol army and liberate the island of Tsushima. Uh, Jin must become more than a samurai. He must become a ghost. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like another one of those big open world games that the you know Sony has been doing a lot of lately. It has like a lot of the hallmarks of those open worlds, you know, side quests, collectibles, uh, busy work all over the map here and there. Um, thankfully, though, it's a very gorgeous looking game. I would say even if it's not graphically the best looking game, although it is graphically very pretty, I think the art direction makes it one of the best looking games on the PlayStation 4. Just the way the grass moves and how beautiful it looks. I never thought I would say grass looked beautiful. I guess if you were into Breath of the Wild, you might appreciate the grass in this game. Um, it has like, <laughs> go- gorgeous snowscapes. Um, there's some beautiful um, red falling leaves that appear. A lot of bamboo, you know, thickets of bamboo, stuff like that. So even though you're like, wandering around the world a lot, and it's mostly large open spaces with the occasional outpost 
or village. It is very nice to look at. And um, it's these... It's kind of interesting because the, the the stuff you find along the way is, like, super important. It's not just, you know, Riddler trophies from the Batman Arkham games. Like, if you stumble on a hot spring, um, you'll boost your health. You can write haikus, and it'll give you, like, an equipable headband at the end of it. You can sometimes wander into a fox's den, and if you pray at the shrine, uh, I believe it'll give you something. I don't remember what it was, though. Like maybe charms or something. You know, it it opens up your charms slot. You can get charms. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So something that I thought was kind of interesting was there's not like a persistent number telling you how close you are to your next objective. Uh, what you do is you uh, slide your finger up the touchpad on the PS4 controller, and a wind will blow, and it will tell you what direction you need to go in. And then for a brief second, it will show you how far away you are and what your task is, but then it'll disappear. So it's very minimal in its presentation. Uh, there's no like obvious indicator on your map that there is something in this spot and you should go there. Oftentimes when you're wandering around, uh, oh, you'll hear the chirping of a bird and then you'll see like a yellow bird near you and it's basically guiding you to something interesting nearby. Like it might guide you to a, a hot springs or a haiku or a mythic quest or tale, I guess they're called in this game. So it's very minimalist. You have to discover things. You might encounter a villager in trouble and you save them from Mongols and they'll tell you, oh, there's something going on over here. And a question mark will appear on your map and you'll know to go there. Or you're in a village and someone says, hey, I need help. There's something going on over here. Or, you know, you might encounter someone says, have you heard the tale of such and such? And they'll tell you to go visit a storyteller and they'll tell you about a new quest where you can unlock new armor, um, new sword skills, stuff like that. They're like they're like decently long story quests that don't like affect the main story or anything. Um and what another interesting thing was how important gear was. Like, I didn't expect that, like, you'd be able to swap out armor and they would have different stats based on how you like to play. Like, you can just equip a pair of armor that will boost your health and damage if you just want to play like that. But there's, like, some that will give you uh, better archery skills. There's some that make you better at um, stealthing around because there's a lot of stealth areas. Um, there's armor that you can wear when you're traveling around that will clear the fog a bit more in the, on the map so you can see more on the map and you it, it'll direct you better towards hidden collectibles and stuff like that. Um, so the game really wants you to switch out armor frequently, find the best build that works for you. You can equip new charms that will augment your armor skill skills already like you can equip something that will maybe give you more supplies when you defeat enemies or find some supplies on the ground uh boost health uh make it harder for enemies to see you when you're stealthing around make you quieter stuff like that so there's, there's, and there's a lot of swapping out uh, you can switch out your headbands uh your mask uh you can change the color of your armor whenever you um upgrade armor it changes its look so there's a lot there's a surprising amount of uh customization to uh jin sakai and you can even like google best builds for like the hard you know the lethal mode the hardest difficulty so you can find all these builds for your character to, to improve uh, for certain circumstances and help you play through the game better. Um, 
like all open world games, there's a skill tree. You know, you do things, you boost your legend rating, whatever they call it, and you can uh, upgrade your abilities. Uh, I just recently got the ability to um, assassinate someone while I'm stealthing around, and then assassinate another person, and then another person. So if I see a cluster of three guys, I can get all three in one go, rather than kill one and the other two are alerted to me, and now I have to fight them. So now I, I have more options for stealthing around. Uh, very early on, I was having trouble because um, there were enemies with spears that I couldn't block. You had to sidestep or dodge them. And I was, like, have, I was having a hard time with sidestepping. Um, but I was better at parries. And there is a technique you can unlock that can make those attacks uh, parryable. So I'm, I don't have to necessarily dodge anymore for those attacks, and it opens them up for another attack for me. So there's a lot I, you can do to improve uh, based on whatever you might not be very good at, stuff like that. There's and a lot you can do with the combat, basically. And the way the combat works is, you know, you got enemies with swords, spears, bows, lances, shields. There were a couple mace guys, and they all have various sizes. Like, there's the big brutes, there's people who have shields you have to break there uh you have to stagger them so they're not using their shield anymore so you can attack them uh you can switch your stance so your attack is more effective against certain enemies so like a brute you might want to use the moon stance that will stagger them better for someone with a shield since you can't attack them till they attack you or you've staggered them you can switch to the water stance and attacks can break their um their uh, their shields or knock their shield back a bit so you ha they're open. Um, there's just a lot, and it feels very visceral when you attack them. You feel like you're actually... It feels, like, really gruesome. You there's a lot of weight and heft to your attacks. So it, you really... It really is, like, you... F I know it's kind of a meme, but you really do feel like a samurai when you're fighting. And uh, I would say, overall, it is uh, a love letter to classic Japanese films. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, when you start the game, you have the option to play in English, Japanese English subtitles, or the unique Kurosawa mode, which makes the game look like a Akira Kurosawa game. Like, it changes, there's a filter on it, I think it affects the sound a bit, uh, stuff oh, like is that. It, is it black and white, too? Yeah, it's black and white. Nice. There's a there's a part where you're there's a there's a there's music playing and there's you see like a field and when you're switching options when you switch to Kurosawa mode the sounds sounds like it changes a bit and it goes to black and white and it has like a grainy film look to it. <laughs> so if you want to feel like you're playing you're playing an Akira Kurosawa movie you can do that and it's about as long as an Akira Kurosawa movie to be honest. Uh, I played about 24 hours uh, that wasn't straight through the story mode but I did want to have a thorough idea of the game before we jumped on because i actually just beat the game last night uh i was i was playing it at the same time we were planning this uh uh this podcast so i wanted to have enough time to play around with it and i think i ended up playing about 21 22 hours total and i felt like i got a pretty good idea of the game i missed some stuff i kind of um along with the story mode when you recruit new allies they have their own story modes and uh, sorry their own story missions that you can continue beyond that. So there's maybe a character whose clan was completely wiped out and now you've recruited them onto your side, but you can continue their story and help them get revenge for their clan. And you can get more equipment, more items, more weapons by doing so. And um, so if, and if you're really interested in that character, you can learn more about them through that. 
Um, it can, it, it's, it's something actually you can do if you don't finish them. I believe most of them are like nine quests long. Like you do nine quests for each character. One or two was like six and one of them's like three. So there's like a lot of story you can do. Like I mentioned, you can stumble on a storyteller who will tell you about a special sort of armor or a, um, uh, a special skill that's really useful. One of my favorite little features of the combat was you can choose to just stealth up and assassinate someone, or you can be an honorable samurai and have a duel, which is basically you hold down the triangle button and the the music starts getting really dramatic and the enemy has their weapon and you have to attack them before they get you. But you can't just attack early. You have to wait to for them to make their move. And once you do that, it's an instant kill. And you can unlock techniques that let you continue that uh, that kill and maybe kill another guy and then kill another guy. And maybe doing so will terrify the um, enemies around you, which will open them up to more attacks. Fun stuff like that. There's also the occasional duel you can do. like a, it's, a, it's a boss duel. And usually it's a very cool, picturesque scene under like a tree with falling leaves or... There's like lights all around you or something where it's raining and it's this very visually stunning scene where Jin Sakai is standing next to his opponent. They're waiting to draw their sword and then Jin draws his sword and you're in this really cool uh, samurai duel where you can't rely on any of your tricks besides your sword play. So it's like it's a very fun if you ever really want to feel like a, uh, a samurai this is kind of game for you. I know, like a lot of fans of Assassin Creed, Assassin's Creed, have been waiting for the uh, ancient Japan Assassin's Creed game. Well, this is basically it. This is the game you've been waiting for if you're really into Assassin's Creed, minus the Assassin's. And, isn't, stuff. and does this game is this game also kind of notorious for being uh, very difficult, almost kind of like Dark Souls, or am I confusing it's, it with something else? Um, so normal mode was kind of difficult for me in a couple instances. It wasn't super hard. Um, there were there were a couple bosses I was really struggling on because it, it is very skill um, dependent. When you're fighting bosses, you can't just um, use a kunai or drop a smoke bomb, or draw, draw your bow. You can't run away from the battlefield. It's a it's a dual circle. So in that instance, it is pretty tough. Um, yep, it's you. Uh, you there's certain points where you can attack. You can't just run and attack them. You can't just stagger them. You have to wait for the right moment. Their attacks are more often unblockable, and you sometimes have to dodge them altogether and wait for an attack that is blockable where you attack their attacks are more of a pattern like they have like four or five unique attacks to them in a certain pattern that you have to memorize in a like sort of a um like a what's that game called punch out like a punch out style way of memorizing okay he's holding his sword like this he's stepping back he's gonna do this attack i need a dodge out of the way because i can't block this or um I think it starts to really get hard um, was I did New Game Plus Lethal Mode just to see what it looked like. And the game lets you carry over all of the stuff you've unlocked. And it is still way harder than I expected it to be. Like, it's pretty much you take two hits, you're done. You get hit twice, you're done. The only plus side is you do equal amounts of damage to enemies. So, like, where it used to take me three or four hits to kill an enemy, now it only takes me two hits to kill an enemy. But now they're more aggressive. Um... You want to play with space a bit more. You want to sort of draw them away. Um, 
builds are more important. You want to make sure you have certain armor and charms equipped. Uh, you want to be good at certain dodge, like dodging. Um, you have to be able to quickly switch um, weapons and items around. I think that's like the one issue I had with the game because when I played Spider Man, um, there's a men- you can you can pop a menu up that will let you switch out weapon like certain uh, weapons, and the game sort of goes in slow motion. You have a lot of time to switch out the choose which one you want to use. Um, whereas in this game, for the most part, you the game doesn't slow at all. So you have to open. There's like two different menus. One menu opens up stances and items that you can hold. I think another one opens the item you're using and something else. I can't remember. Um, but so like, say you want to use a dart of some kind well what kind of dart are you going to use are you going to use a poison dart or no a better example would be um you can use a smoke bomb to either throw like a projectile that attacks them or you can drop a smoke bomb that will make them so they can't see you so there's a little switching around i mentioned stances you have absolutely no indication of what the stance is you just have to remember it Uh, i use the water stance a lot so i know that that's for shields i had to use the moon stance a lot so I know it's for brutes, but some like wind I had to Google real quick to remember what that was for. I use that for guys who have staffs uh, or spears or whatever. It just and it just says moon, water, uh, wind, and I can't remember the other one. Stone, the stone stance. Occasionally there'll be a pop up on the screen saying, "Hey, this is useful against these guys. You should switch to this." But for the most part, it does it doesn't tell you. So there's a lot of skill and quick reflexes if you want to be able to play well on higher difficulties. But if you're just playing normal, it's not that... Um, it's 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 easy to learn, but tough to master, basically. That's a good way of describing it. All right. Yangus in the chat reminding us that uh, Etrian Odyssey has some stance system. guess the samurai really uh, rely on that quite a bit. Oh, yeah. I remember the, the samurai character in... Uh, was it, I think the samurai character in the Soul Calibur series, didn't he, like, switch stances, too? I think. I could be wrong, but... Yeah. Isn't and Yangus, also, isn't in Bravely Default have 2 have something unique, like that? Um, Yangus, I think you're on mute. Oh, yeah, no, I was, th- no, I was thinking while you were asking oh. me that one. <laughs> um, no, I don't remember if it does, to be honest. I know there's a class that's based off of the Samurai. Um, it's the Swordmaster who taught Idea in the first game. Mm-hmm. And I think if I remember right, it does have a stance system where it's like counter stance and... and um, Things like that, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it's I never really used that class myself that much, so I'm not really sure. Yeah, but, it's uh, Mitsurugi. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was gonna say it's Mitsurugi from Cell Calibur, and yeah, he does he does switch from at least a couple different stances. Now that I'm thinking about it more, yeah. Okay. Stances yeah, um, had um their own skill tree too. Like you you could unlock new skills and abilities within that that um stance you can use. So there's like there was just so much you had to be able to memorize. So I feel like on the higher difficulties, um, that matters a bit more. But on normal, you can pretty reliably use kunai to stagger enemies. Um, occasionally use your bow, um, but mostly you're fine just parrying attacks and stabbing with your sword, pretty much. Yeah, yeah you know that's um. You talking about the skill tree thing? Like I had mentioned it in the text chat here, but uh, the Etrian Odyssey series has in the, in the first two games at least uh, a class called the Ronin class, which was actually referred to as the Bushido class in the Japanese release. And its main gimmick is that it has three different stances that it can enter, 
in order to use different abilities. Like you have, I forget the names of the stances, but uh, like the first stance is the attacking stance. So when it enters that one, it gets more of a, an attack boost, but it lowers the defense. Uh, there's a second one, which is the opposite, where it's the defense boosting one, but lowers the attack power. And it's more of a counter-focused um, skill set. And then you have the third one, which focuses more on speed and actually gives you more of uh, lightning abilities and more elemental stuff. So it's, at least in that game's case, uh, you then can use the Ronin to, you know, play around with, you know, how it's going to synergize with the rest of your party. Or, like, I've seen some people who actually solo, have so- or soloed, like, the original game with just a Ronin in the... Um, Oh, which one is it? It's either Etrian Odyssey 2 or it was Etrian Untold 1. I don't remember which one, but it was cool seeing how that was possible with the stance system. So it's interesting that that's such a vital thing that they use for uh, samurai-based classes and uh, samurai-based games uh, throughout different, um, you know, obviously they're different generations of hardware and like different game genres and things like that. So I think that's kind of neat that it kind of binds them all together in, in, a, in a way like that that must have been pretty important back in uh oh you know the eras when like samurai would have been you know a little more commonplace in japan and stuff like that must be pretty big to that particular sword style yeah when you switch stances he he changes the way he's standing so like in the water stance he has his sword up in the air like he's with a hack basically mm-hmm. or like like he whereas in just a normal stance he's just holding it uh stationary so like the way he walks around carries a sword changes based on um his stance hmm. all righty well sounds like uh we're here for uh someone to or we, it's time for someone to take a stance on uh their own top game of the year and it's a game i think we've all uh, taken a stance on in a series we've all taken a stance on because that's the reason we're all here uh pendy why don't you go ahead and talk about the uh game you want to put at the top of your list this year and i'll try to be very uh tactful about my my oh, yes, uh, presentation yeah. <laughs> please do you know keep, keep but, it on uh, comment <laughs> but uh my favorite game of the year is dragon quest tact for android and ios devices it came out in Japan in July of last year, and the global version of this game came out 27 January of 2021. I believe it's in uh, English, Chinese, Korean, and uh, maybe French. I can't remember the European languages that it's, it's in. Sakurai Blue, that's all I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was nice because when I played Dragon Quest of the Stars, it was not in Korean, but this one is, so my wife got to play it too got to play it too because she's Korean so we got to play it together for a while so that was that was, that was a lot of fun uh, but anywho um, I've logged in and played this game every day uh, since its uh, launch date it's uh, one of my games that I love is turn-based strategy RPGs so combine that with Dragon Quest and this is right up my alley now it is a mobile gotcha game so the depth of it isn't quite there as much as say like a Final Fantasy Tactics or a Fire Emblem Uh, But when you do get to some of the harder boss battles, a lot more strategy can come into play, especially if you are a free-to-play player and you don't want to spend any money on it, which you can do. You can can pretty much uh, conquer most anything in this game and not have to spend a dime. They are pretty good about that. Now, the point of this game is to collect monsters and characters for your team. You can use these uh, towards a team uh, that you build up, and you can use it towards main story missions, special event missions, and missions to build up your team's abilities. As you can probably guess, the gotcha part of the game is collecting monsters and other characters, 
Uh, I found from playing gacha games like Dragon Quest Monster Super Light, Tact, Dragon Quest of Stars, and some other Final Fantasy gacha games, I've come to learn personally that I like it a lot more when gacha is uh, centered around characters as opposed to um, equipment, you know, characters and monsters. I like collecting that more through the, the gacha type mechanic. Now, oh, I feel better than getting a new hat. Yeah, that's that's it's just just not have the, the same kind of a feeling for that. Like, oh, hey, I got another I got some new boots like great. I got boots. <laughs> I, I can relate to that. That's why I've stuck with Saga Universe so long, because it's like, hey, new characters. All right. Yeah, exactly. So in the story, you are a mysterious human character that can command monsters with a magic baton. You befriend a slime named Magellan and a teeny sanguini named Min- Mindini. As you figure out your past and what happened to the humans of your kind in the distant past. Now, all the while, there's some new mysterious evil force that's trying to sabotage your efforts and make the resident monsters either go mad and battle everything or be brainwashed and under their control. Now, uh, they're also, they regularly do major and minor events. Right now, there is a smaller Christmas event featuring a Christmas-themed Crystalinda and a major Dragon Quest VI event where you can recruit some of the heroes from that game like Carver and some of the bosses like Nocturnus really soon because he'll be officially uh, released uh, in one of the future parts of six because they're doing it in, in pieces. Uh, and these events always have story missions you can do, the, the major story that's part of the game and the special event missions, and you do it with your party and characters from the games. Uh, they've come up with uh, all sorts of different missions for the games. There's straight-up story missions, as I said before. There's tower or dungeon events where you battle through multiple floors. There's big boss battles, like where you fight Bjorn from uh, Bjorn from uh, Dragon Quest V, where he takes up half the screen, and he's got like multiple places you can hit. Uh, and they always have like a strategy where you can kind of like stagger them and do more damage by meeting certain parameters while you're fighting them. And even later, big big bosses like. Uh, like the final boss from Seven, they have attacks that will put damage or poison traps on the floor. Now, the uh, the toughest setup is when they do missions that consist of sub-bosses where you can only use your characters and equipment uh, once, and that's it. So if you've used up too many of your good characters and equipment, by the time you get to the final boss, you're SOL. Though you can go back and reset battles and do different configurations, but still you're stuck just using everything once for one mission. Uh, so you have to choose everything pretty wisely. Now, um, every mission, pretty much every mission that you do, uh, with some uh, exceptions, they require stamina. And you only get so much stamina per day, except for these battles called Battle Road. These don't require any stamina at all, and they often require the use of lower-level characters, which is really nice. All the characters that you get in the game, uh, S being the best, and then you've got A, B, C, D, E, and finally F. And you would think, oh, hey, E and F characters would be useless garbage, and you're never going to use them. But the way Battle Road is set up, these missions force you to use a lot of those lower-level characters. So it's a great way to, to be able to actually utilize all the characters that you have, no matter how weak they might be. And you can get some nice uh, items from mastering these missions. <clears throat> the other advantage is that leveling up your characters makes, your, makes you stronger overall. Just like in Dragon Quest Monster games, all the characters are split into different families, like slime, demon, hero, question marks for the major boss characters, etc. And as you level up more of your characters in each family, you get bonus attributes as you make them stronger. And this will go to certain statistics, like your HP or MP or your strength. And then uh, lastly, you've got uh, daily arena battles, which is one of my favorite parts of the game. Uh, 
This is where you put together a team to fight CPU-built teams or from teams built by other people who play the game. Now, it's not live. If you were to fight my team, for example, it'll be controlled by the CPU. So, uh, and each monster has a set weight. So oftentimes they'll set weight limits. So you have to mix it up to build your team. So you can't just go in there with uh, like five S monsters. You'd, you might have to put in like two S monsters and some A monsters, maybe throw in a B. It just depends on what the weight limit it is and how you want to strategize. So these limitations will last a week. You do like a week of <clears throat> arena battles and you do three battles per day and you get prizes as you rank up. And at the end of the week, depending on how well you did overall, they'll also throw in different parameters like how one week uh, CIS attacks will be 30, 30% more effective. Uh, only a certain class of characters uh, will, will be allowed. Like you only can use like A characters one week and it won't let you use any S characters. Sometimes everyone will automatically be poisoned at the beginning of the match. So you got to deal with that. Or like hero class characters will have a 30% attack bonus. They mix it up all the time. So I love how they do that. Now, I have a lot of fun doing all you can do in this game. And recently, they came out with version uh, 2.0, and there's a lot of nice quality of life improvements. You can now auto-battle up to up to uh, 60 battles at a time. So if you want some free leveling up in a, in a battle road mission, just throw an auto-play and let it go. You get very little experience from each of those battles, but if you let it go for you know 60 at a time... It accumulates, and you can get a lot of experience out of that for free. So they also made it that if you suck suck it up in a mission and you die, you don't lose any stamina. You can try again, if and you don't lose stamina until you beat it. So that's pretty nice. Uh, because the Japan version is six months ahead of us, we get a pretty good preview of what's coming up, because we'll, obviously we'll get all that stuff first. So I know soon they'll have a Dragon Quest Eight event, so I'm really looking forward to that, because I love all the characters from Dragon Quest Eight. It's one of my favorites out of the series and there's going to be some sort of guild system that's going to come into play too i'm not sure exactly how it works but you get to build up a base camp and you do certain missions for the guild uh, with the other players that join so i'm looking forward to being a part of a dragon's den guild that we've been talking about putting together so that'll be that'll be fun now if you love dragon quest monsters and heroes turn-based strategy gameplay and you don't mind gotcha mechanics this game will be a love letter to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I every time when someone I says, it. every time someone says um, "love letter," a play loses its wings. Yep. Uh, <laughs> another one's just unable to run away from battle. Just yep. So disheartened. No, I remember playing. I got to review Tact before it came out um, for RP Gamer, and I, I'm not a fan of the turn-based strategy games at all, but it, it was all right. I mean, I, I liked it. I didn't play it when it came out because that's not my kind of game, but no, it, it had a good little, because I, I had to play it for like 10 hours. I got through the whole, um, the tutorial, not the tutorial, I guess it wasn't for 10 hours, but all the content that was available at that time um, of the soft release, was it the, the beta, beta testing, basic? That was it, yeah. The beta and press, press testing. Um it was good. I, I, I will say after about four hours, I pretty much auto battle everything because it was still like the chapter one, chapter two kind of story stuff. It went pretty quickly. Um, but no, it, I like how they got the monsters there. Uh, it struck me much more than uh, what was the failed game that already died. Stars. Um, stars. Yeah. Dragon Quest of the Stars. I, I did. Yep. Rip. Whatever. <laughs> But no, I, Tact was uh, better with that. It reminded me of the Dragon Quest Monster Super Light that I played quite a bit of. So you're yeah, right. I played a lot it's of that it's more fun collecting the monsters than it is collecting the equipment. 
Yeah, and the and the gotcha in this, uh, from my limited experience, seems to be pretty uh, generous. In the beginning, like they they gave you a banner that was a uh, killing machine banner, and you could uh, keep going. You could keep re-rolling on that banner infinitely until you got like a, a group of monsters that you wanted. So I got like three S monsters, like just right off the bat, just from the net, that unlimited banner that they had. It was great. Like, you, I mean, you only got to do it once, but you could just keep retrying and retrying and retrying until you got something that you're happy with, and then you got it. So that was nice. And then there was, like, the, some little uh, missions that you could do in the beginning that would give you a guaranteed S-Monster. So I had, like, four, like, high-ranking S-Monsters, like, in the beginning of the game. So, and I just took off from there. So it's it was it's nice how they've been, at least, especially compared to Stars, a lot more generous, I think, with that. Nice. Less gotcha e. Tactics is always nice in a gotcha tactics game. <laughs> I gotcha. You got you get you gotcha. You got gotcha. Whatever. I gotcha. Okay, I'm I'm all tongue twisted. <laughs> I that one got you. I don't know why that was so funny, but the way that Evan said it, but it was. Oh, oh, well, uh, that's the that's mystery of what, me. What what we got we got you to do right now is uh, end this podcast because we don't need to talk about. It. Yangus is number one game. Go back a couple yeah, episodes. Yeah, Thank you. Good yeah. night. The end. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. See, Platty always is like, oh, I don't play Animal Crossing. Uh, I see his profile playing it a ton on <laughs> the Switch. So I think he's got like this elaborate ruse trying to go up. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I don't play Animal Crossing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's for my wife. Yeah. Well, somebody has the. Wait, I haven't bought the DLC yet. Never mind. <laughs> I was looking ahead to your notes, and I'm like, well, I got that. Oh, crap. No, I don't. I do need to buy it in the next uh, two days, though. That That's, like, part of my wife's Christmas gift. Like, oh, See, guess what? It, no, yeah, for your Damn wife's it. Christmas gift. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Whatever, buddy. Whatever <laughs> 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 you got to tell yourself. <laughs> hey, it's his right, uh, love letter to his wife. Come on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he probably will write a love letter like, dear honey, I love you so much. I bought you this DLC. You have to let me play it, though. <laughs> okay. Oh, dear <laughs> um, God. <laughs> all right but um yeah so for uh my last game and what i would consider my favorite game of the year that i've played is uh, animal crossing new horizons um I, we did talk about this one a lot more on our farming slash not farming episode a few weeks ago so if you want to go back and hear that uh there's a little more detail in there but i'm just gonna do kind of a quick overview slash just some other stuff i might not have mentioned before uh, if so you'd this like game more was released information in, about the game that Yangus is going to talk about. Please check out. No, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, so uh, released in early 2020 for the Nintendo Switch, um, Animal Crossing: New Horizons kind of came out around the time that uh, a lot of places were closing down for COVID or COVID-19 quarantine stuff. So it kind of came out at the right time, right place, right time sort of game. Uh, the game starts off with you choosing a deserted island to move to and create an island for people to, or people, I should say people, animals to live on. Since, you know, that's all about what Animal Crossing is. You're the only human for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> unless there's another human, unless there's another player, then there's more than one. But uh, anyway, you create an island uh, as you see fit as the island representative, um, which is a job given to you by Tom Nook. Uh, there are tasks that you have to complete, such as, you know, just making sure you have certain kinds of furniture in order to help bring people into the island, planting trees and flowers and stuff. And eventually your first goal is to bring K.K. Slider, who is a traveling musician, uh, to your island for a, a concert. And once you've done that, you're pretty much free to do whatever you want to do. 
uh, you don't have to worry about doing some of the um, like tasks that uh, Tom Nook gives you. You can just do kind of whatever you want to. You still have little missions you can do thanks to uh, your Nook phone, which will give you things like, oh, if you catch this many fish in a day, you'll get these Nook miles, which you can then use to trade in for special items or recipes or uh, and, and uh, some other some other stuff you can trade it in for. Um, According to my uh, Nintendo 2021 recap, I played the game for about 550 hours, you know, roughly rounding it up. Oh, damn! To that recap. Yeah, I know. It, it definitely was the game that took away most of my time this year, but it was one that I never really got bored with either. Uh, I, I honestly just found myself returning to the game a lot, and honestly, it's been a great game to play like after work in the evenings when I get home late because I can just turn it on. I don't have to like focus too much on I can just kind of listen to stuff on YouTube or whatever I want to listen to, and I can just go kind of go about doing my stuff on my island, and whether it's re- like doing the redecorating stuff or doing some cleanup, you know, whatever the case might be. It's one of those games that's very much a just kind of chill out and relax with kind of game for me. And it's one that I just have never really gotten bored with, so that explains why I... <laughs> that's why it pretty much dominated all my game time of uh, 2021. <laughs> um, this is why I you really didn't have liked... the time to uh, play more sh- SMT5, huh? Mm, yeah, it, it definitely was one of those things where it's like... <sighs> It's 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 hard. It's, I also do a lot of like physical only too. Well, not physical only, but I get a lot of physical copies, so you don't have to swap that around as well. And not to be mm-hmm. lazy, but there's times where it's just like I don't feel like playing an RPG or I don't feel like doing that. I just want to not worry about that. But oh, um, it. yeah, but but <laughs> I'll it, play this whatever's is definitely just because it's like yeah, oh, it's already there. But um, you, you know, even when there were cases where I just you know played it because it was already in the system, I always was finding new stuff to do or. You know, finding things where it's like, oh, you know, I want I want to do this, or like if certain things happen, like um, with the big 2.0 update that came out uh, earlier, uh, what was that? Like early October, it came out. You know, that really kind of motivated me to go back into the game again and add a good amount of time with all the stuff that they added. But I'll get to that here in a sec. Um, what I really liked about with the stuff they were previewing for New Horizons is that there's a ton of customization options uh, for items and for your item and for your island as a whole uh being able to decorate you know as much as you want was something that i was really hoping that we'd get to see in future games after playing stuff like uh uh wild world and such so seeing that um with new horizons that they really have you know go- gone above and beyond with that is really cool because when i originally started the game i set my set up to try and make my island a recreation of estard island from uh, dragon quest 7 since that's my favorite dragon quest game and for the most part, my island still resembles that. Like, I have a lot of houses down near, like, the southern beach uh, to be where, like, Pilchard Bay would be. I have uh, some houses, and funny enough, they ended up being neighbors who are more of, like, the uh, snootier uh, personality types that are up in the, like, cliffside part of my island that I made, uh, which is supposed to be, like, where Estar Castle is. I put my museum over where, like, the shrine would be on the island. And I've, I've done some other things that, you know, not necessarily would relate to the Estar Island theming, but just kind of put in some stuff where it's like, oh, this would be a good way to represent this from the game or uh, do this sort of thing. And like my town theme, I always make it a different uh, song from Dragon Quest Seven. So really getting to do a lot of that customization option stuff is really cool. And both with how you can decorate your island, how you can rearrange the um, like terrain with the water and the cliff sides and everything. There's a lot of really cool stuff, and I'm really glad that they've you know gone above and beyond that. There's a few things I'm not a big fan of in the game, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, but I'll keep this putting positive. Uh, so funny enough, though, speaking of that episode from a few weeks ago, Animal Crossing was one of the few games we had that did not have farming. Well, after the 2.0 update, <laughs> it does indeed now have farming. 
<laughs> Look at that retroactively. So it, was, it, 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 it pretty much is. It was really funny that we did that because, like, it was only a few days after we did that podcast that that trailer popped up. <laughs> and I remember I messaged you, Platty, and I'm like, "Oh my yep. god, they put farming and they hurt us." <laughs> it all works. It all it, comes out right in the end. It did. It was so funny. But um, yeah, with the big 2.0 update that they that came out um. I just saw what Platty edited into my notes at the end here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, with the 2.0 update, they added in a ton of new stuff. Like, uh, uh, they they finally brought the gyroids into the game, which are these little... um, I don't remember what they're based off of from Japanese mythology. I can't remember. But um, they're little figurines that you can place them around and they'll make different noises and they'll play along with songs or they'll just kind of do their own thing if there's nothing playing. Uh, there's the farming stuff, like new ingredients and new uh, plants you can place around your island and grow them uh, to make cooking recipes, which is another really cool addition. Um, you, there's new camera and photo options. There's a new island that lets you go... Uh, let you go and explore. Or, sorry, there's a new feature with Cap'n, who also makes a return uh, to go and explore these like mysterious islands that might have different seasons and new collectibles and all all sorts of good stuff. And that's definitely added a ton of playtime uh, to it as well. And um, uh, as of now, I don't have the Happy Home Paradise that also came out around the same time as the 2.0 update. Uh, it's so far the only paid DLC for the game. But I imagine whenever I do get it, it'll probably add a lot more playtime uh, to my overall total. And um, yeah, the reason I decided to make this one my number one game, even though like stuff like Shin Megami Tensei Five was something that I was really looking forward to, I was really surprised how much I kept going back to uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons throughout the year. And I never, and again, I never really felt super bored with it. There were times where I did put it away on the shelf, but then I had that kind of inkling, like, oh, you know, I kind of want to uh, pop the game back in and go check on my island and you know to see if, if there's anything new at the season and. It's one of those games that I really am surprised just how much that I have uh, played. I think, actually, of all the games that I have, it might be the most... uh, It might be the game that I have put the most overall playtime into. The only other things that would even come close would be, like, Tatsunoko versus Capcom or uh, any of the Smash Brothers games. And those ones are all about roughly around 300 hours each or so. So, yeah, I definitely... A few things in this game I'm not a big fan of for some changes, but overall, I really enjoyed... I've, or sorry, I've really enjoyed all my time with uh, New Horizons, and uh, it surprises me, too, because last year when it was announced and we were finally getting it, uh, or not now, sorry, last year when it came out, I thought it was going to be one of those games where it's like, oh, okay, it's just another Animal Crossing one, but seeing more uh, more and more of what people were able to do with the game made me go, oh, they you know, kind of went above and beyond, so um, yeah, definitely a game that I did not expect would be my favorite of this year or my most played game of the year either, but uh, yeah, definitely one that I really enjoyed, and I know this is probably not a genre that's for everybody, even though a ton of people play Animal Crossing and stuff. But, I was going to say, isn't um, this like a, a top 10 game seller on the Switch? I think it is, but I know this <laughs> it, sort of genre, Out of all the though, games we talked about tonight, this may be the game that is more for everybody. <laughs> it might be. But I also know that some people aren't big on like the life because really Animal Crossing games don't really have goals per se. And I know some mm-hmm. people, you know, they want to play a game with goals in it. You know, after the first part of the game, there's really nothing um, afterwards. We're just pretty much you do what you want to do, you know. And I know some people are, you know, they prefer a goal driven experience. I guess that's what I meant to say instead of it being. You know, I, by some people, genre. you just keep meaning me, right? Hmm? <laughs> I said what? by some people, you just keep meaning me. <laughs> I'm not going to point fingers at you. I know this isn't up your cup of tea. No, I, you <laughs> know I was what? I, point I think fingers, I, I, I'd be a little more obvious. 
I think this would be something I could get into if there were goals. Because, I mean, that's what that's what Rune Factory works for me. Um, I used to like the Harvest Moons, but I kind of moved away from that because it was like, oh, once you get married, isn't that the end? Whatever. I mean, I know it goes way beyond that into infinity like nowadays. But I, yep. <laughs> Marriage is the end. But like yeah. Rune Factory, when that came out 12 years or so ago, it gave me that like, oh, I get to battle a little bit. I get to do the farming. But there's also like an end boss. There's a, you know, I can go on forever if I want, but credits roll. Man, yeah. that credit, cre- credits rolling is like, okay, I got it. Like, I, I I can walk away now if I need to and not spend 500 hours. But mm-hmm. no, I can see the appeal of these games because that's that's half of what I did in Graveyard Keeper. It's half of what I did in Stardew Valley. It's half of, actually, it's like 9% of Stardew Valley. It's, uh you know, half mm-hmm. of what I do in Rune Factories. And you were talking about like number of hours played. I was thinking about the other day, like uh, when I saw everybody doing like, oh, I did so many, you know, this hours for this game, for this, for this, for this past year and all that. And I was thinking like, oh, I wonder, you know, I'm interested and kind of scared to see how many hours I put into Dragon Quest Tech. And I went into my settings for my phone to, to find that tracker that where it tracks like how many hours you put into each app. And I didn't hmm. know that it was off. So this whole year, that oh. I have no idea. So next year, next year, I'll have my scary numbers for, for that kind of thing. But I was like, oh, <laughs> That's probably for the best. I don't know how many hours I put into it this year because it's probably I know that, way too much. When I saw Some that, things was like, are best left unknown. <laughs> I know. Yeah, when I got my yeah. hour count uh, from Nintendo for that one, it's just like holy shit! I didn't realize <laughs> I played it that much in, in the year. It's like Jesus Christ. <laughs> you put that up there for how many hours you played this game, and I'm like, holy crap! Like my Switch profile hasn't played games that much, and. <laughs> Probably thirty percent of my Switch profile is my wife and my son playing games. So, like, dang! I think I think the comment you made was like, "That's probably not as much as I put in this year alone, or something." It, like it that. probably isn't. You know, <laughs> I count up a few Vita games and uh, add it to my Switch total. Like, that's probably around five hundred. <laughs> I know. I, I I hope that there is a an ACA for this and Animal Crossing Anonymous for any of these sort of addiction <laughs> problems. But. Um, yeah, no, it was, this is definitely, like I said, it's just a game that really surprised me with how much I've gotten out of it. And uh, I, I mean, I, I like the series since I played it on uh, Wild World on the DS, which I talked about um, again a few weeks ago. But um, yeah, really, this was just one that I was really kind of shocked by how much that I uh, got out or have gotten out of it this year. And I know tomorrow, and uh, which I'm, <laughs> hopefully I'm able to actually take part of it a bit because of um, the holidays and stuff and with work and everything. They're actually doing uh, the Christmas event in the game tomorrow, which is called Toy Day instead of uh, you know being called Christmas. And um, I, that's been cool, too, with this game is that I've actually with past Animal Crossing games, I've just never really had the chance to experience some of the holiday stuff but this year with um you know just with how you know life's kind of changed around because of covid and everything uh i've been able to actually experience some of that stuff in these in uh animal crossing now which is really cool because i I didn't realize how much you could do with some of these uh holiday events and how much stuff you could end up getting from them so yeah that's pretty neat and um i don't want to keep repeating myself here but i really enjoyed the game and definitely was surprised how much i enjoyed it over the year but uh, yeah this is definitely my number one favorite game of the year all right well there you have it everybody we've uh started here we've had leisure suit larry you know we've gone from the 80s and uh sex bot games to uh modern day and stuff my like seven eight year old can play so uh we, we've run the gamut from uh, old, nearly porn to new uh, rated G. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've it's had a love all. letter for all genres. Oh, oh dear God. God. 
Yes. He's just gonna be like, I'm done. Do I have to, to name this episode like a love letter to 2021? Oh god. <laughs> god, this is the last episode for 2021. <laughs> oh, oh. Went on a love 2021 letter. is definitely my favorite uh year in this decade. Oh, uh, there you go. There you go. It, it's been a <laughs> it's been better than all the other ones in the 2020s. <laughs> all right. Well, sounds like uh if we're talking about wonderful years. You know, what's the what's been your favorite pandemic here? Uh, maybe we should just wrap this up. <laughs> I like the pubonic 1918 was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like oh, the black man. Plague was a thing. That was fun. <laughs> uh, I was telling somebody the other day, or I was listening to a podcast the other day. Oh, I was telling Austin. Uh, Austin had to go to bed. He, he We've been going on quite a while tonight, so uh, I gave him permission to drop off. So uh, Austin's left us here for the end. But I was talking Happy to him Christmas the other day. Happy Christmas Eve, everyone. Yeah, uh, we oh, it is now. I still least, have an, I still have forty five minutes. I can't. Well, I was going to say, well, then you can't say it. I know. <laughs> nope, I'd be living a lie if I did. You would. The the magic of podcasting and posting this days later. Uh, Santa will come to that. my house. He'll be like, "No, you <laughs> said it at the wrong time." Uh, but I was talking. Uh, I mentioned a Star Trek podcast, Austin. I was like, "Hey, they they really went off on this tangent that you had mentioned." Um, when we did the Star Trek episode, like last January, and I was re- listening to a bunch of Star Trek Picard podcasts that they were recording in early 2020 as they were going through it. And at one point they mentioned something that also he says, like Picard just didn't have like a really positive view of the future. Everything was just dark and negative. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, it stinks because, you know, y- you want to be positive and then you see stuff on the news like, oh, my God, COVID-19. Like, what the hell's that? No big deal. Just, you know, be be positive. You don't need to worry about that. It's not like it's the plague or anything. And this was like, <laughs> <laughs> this was like a February 20th, 2020 recorded episode. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, man, what a what a moment in time right then. Yep. The, the picture before the disaster. It, exactly. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we, we started with COVID-19 at the beginning and ending with it at the end. Um, but that's it. All it all comes full it, circle. It, <laughs> it does. Comes full circle, close the loop, love letter, whatever it is for this episode. Seal <laughs> that letter up. We're going to seal it. We're going to link it closed, put it in the mail, and it'll probably arrive sometime in 2022. Um, no, don't link it. Don't lick it. That's not, that's oh. dangerous. Eh, you know. Don't want to spread COVID. <laughs> Oh boy! Oh, well, I think of the Seinfeld episode. <laughs> oh yeah! That, oh god! Yeah, <laughs> you could just die from licking an envelope. envelope. Here. <laughs> knowing the env- knowing the envelopes that uh, we have around here. As a matter of fact, I went to open a box of envelopes today. I found out we had no envelopes in our house, so I uh, repurposed uh, my. Lo- uh, what did I get? And bill for I got a bill for my car insurance, but I could pay it online, so I used that envelope to pay another bill that had to be mailed in. It's like ah, here we go. And it's a totally foreign concept to my wife because no letter or no envelopes in uh, South Korea are like that. They're all sticky. You have to st- you have to put sticky stuff on them. Well, the, oh, they don't have the little tab you rip off and self sticks. They, they got they got those too. But yeah, there's uh you, there's like sticky stuff you have to buy. Like it was so funny. Like I was over there couple weeks ago and uh for about a week and a half and she had to go mail a letter and she's like oh i gotta go to the uh i gotta go to the store and get some of that sticky stuff for the envelopes i'm like oh damn okay (laughs) but like actually (laughs) licking an envelope closed like she had never heard of that before it was it was funny Uh, Hmm. probably a lot better over there for that (laughs) 
But if we're on Korean envelopes, we're definitely done with this episode. <laughs> I'm side quest. Thank you, Pendy. <laughs> Thank you, Evan. Thanks, Oz, for being with us most of the night. Uh, we went on a long time. But uh, thanks for everybody for talking about your favorite games from that you played this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. Um, I don't have anything else really written here, but uh, I will say we definitely like the last episode. Uh, covered quite a uh, range of games, both ones that came out this year and ones that have come out in uh, previous years. And um, you know, with this being our last episode of 2021, you know, obviously, thank you to you know any of our listeners, uh, you know, sticking through, sticking with us through the year and. Uh, thank you for all of our guests that we've had on throughout the year as well. You know, here's hoping that 2022 will be just as hectic as it normally is for us around here. <laughs> hey, you know, look, we've already done, let's say we got 26 episodes of SideQuest out, and now four of them are favorite games of the year episodes. Like, more than a seventh of our episodes are this way. And uh, coming up, we'll do what we did last January, some games that we're looking forward to in uh, 2022. Yay! Um, yay. Didn't <laughs> that was a very Monty Python? Yay. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna, ha- I, I forgot to give props. Didn't Blue Star talk about It Takes Two last year as a game that she was looking forward to? Yes, I believe she did. And then, uh, at that sham of an award show the other night, um, <laughs> it won game of the year. So, you know, yeah, fucking, fucking Tales of Arise beats out. <laughs> are you saying Blue's Art? opinions Woo! are a sham? Oh, no, I'm just saying the game, the whole concept of a video game award show is a sham Obviously, i also believe she influenced it she's an influencer i also believe that of the oscars and the emmys so you know no big deal um but no <laughs> lou what way to call that like way in advance not that she called it at all but good pick on your part um we'll see if she's uh as precocious uh, i don't know as how do you say prognostic katie is she as pro- if she can tell the future she can see yeah. into the future whatever i'm never gonna get that word out here past midnight so will <laughs> blue call it again this year we'll have to full-on tell her she's got to put in her uh put it in next week or two weeks whenever we record she's got to have that ready to go again so uh you know what one thing that we will not be asking blue to do is advertise <laughs> for our patreon because we don't have one screw patreon we're, we're just uh we're just people who love to talk about games and hopefully you like to listen to us. Uh, but if you got some money, you know, it, I probably won't get this in time out to uh, have you hear this and buy those last minute Christmas gifts. But, you know, all those people you forgot about use uh, Woodis's, uh Amazon affiliate link on his website. Get them those. Uh, oops. Sorry, I forgot about you on Christmas. Um, buy him a New Year's gift. Buy him a happy. I don't know what, what comes it. In Happy Kwanzaa. Happy my birthday. Kwanzaa. Buy something for my birthday. Well, I was going to say my birthday is right at the beginning of January, too. So, yeah, Pendy, if you if you feel like sending Penny and me a gift, one, you probably don't know where we live, so that probably won't work. But if you just want to buy somebody a gift in honor of us, go ahead, use his affiliate link. Woodus will get five cents, ten cents, maybe just one cent. But every little bit will help keep the uh, Dragon's Den's lights on for another 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you would like to contact one of us for any show ideas, uh, we'd be happy to hear from you. You can contact Platty via his Twitter account, PlattyM3. Uh, you can also contact him via the Dragon's Den forums or the Dragon's Den Discord run by our friend Barurian uh, via personal messages. You can also contact me, Yangus Legendary Bandit, at the Dragon's Den or... Uh, the Dragon's Den Discord through personal messages as well. Uh, we have a list full of ideas, and we are happy either to revisit uh, previous ideas or previous topics. You know, if you have enough interest, or if you have any suggestions for a future episode, we'd love to hear from you. We definitely have some good ones planned already for 20, uh, 2022, 
the one in February I'm particularly looking forward to because that should be an interesting episode. <laughs> we won't spoil it yet, but it's it, it should be fun. <laughs> I'm both looking forward to it and not looking forward to it. <laughs> in equal measure. Uh, <laughs> all right. But yeah. All right. Bye, everyone. Have a happy new year. Side quest 2021 complete. See y'all in 2022.